Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are unmuted. How was your run on Sunday? Recorded? I used to. I came up with an answer years ago, and you've heard it. I tell people we, we run about 2,000, we catch about 100 of them. Uh, uh, yeah. How many baptized last year? I don't even know how many we baptized last year, but I know we baptized people. And those people that were baptized know they were baptized, especially those few times we got in that pool and the water was frigid. You've remembered that. <laughs> how many you get saved last year? Well, we had a few folks saved here last year, and we praise the Lord for that. And those folks that got saved know they're saved, and most of them are here this morning, and they've been faithful ever since, and we praise the Lord for that. Uh, how big was your offering last Sunday? You know, I never even asked Brother Greg what our offering is on Sunday. You can ask Brother Greg. I, you know, I, sometimes I'll say, how was the offering? And he'll say, well, you know, it was good. It was a kind, of, you know, kind of medium, whatever. And I'll say, well, how are we doing to meet the, the expenses here, the work, uh, toward the end of the month? And he'll let me know. But, you know, I, I sure don't, I don't get in there and count the offer. All right, yeah. Uh, who do you fellowship with? Christians. <laughs> Folks of our church. There's, there, there's a lot of machoism amongst pastors today. And I use the term very lightly because I believe a lot of those guys that stand behind pulpits really don't fit the qualifications of Scripture and really don't display the kind of spirit that they should display to the people that are there. But there, there's, a, there's that mindset there. Well, yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. And I, listen, I've heard guys stand up and preach. Well, you know what? If you don't, listen, if you don't uh, increase your numbers by such a percentage every year, then something's wrong. You're not right with God. Show me that in the Bible. The only church I see mentioned in the Bible that had large numbers is the first church there in Jerusalem, and God had to drive them out through persecution. Read the book of James. You'll find out about it. They were driven out to the othermost parts of the earth, like they were told in Acts chapter 2, in order to fulfill God's command to them. So the idea, the mentality today of the church is far from what Scripture would have us to know. Why don't we look into the Scripture? That's a novel idea. Let's spend some time in the Word of God this morning and see what the Word of God has to say. Verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to take your Bibles, keep that thought in mind, and I want you to turn back a few books in the Bible to the book of... Uh, Let's see, Galatians. Excuse me while I look here. The book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And I want you to notice a similarity between the opening of 1 Thessalonians and the book of Ephesians. And see if you pick up on it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now turn to Galatians, chapter 1. An apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. There's a difference between the opening of Galatians and the opening of Ephesians and 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see that God is speaking in a very personal way when he deals with the church in Thessalonica, because you'll notice that Paul does not write to the church at Thessalonica. 
Paul writes to the Thessalonians. If you remember what we read prior there, Paul again refers to the brethren that make up that church. You see, this church is made up of individuals. Every person here that has their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that's been scripturally baptized and that, and that adding them into the local assembly, they are a part of that assembly today. They are a part of that group of people. Those who have been saved and baptized, those that are serving God, those that know Him as their Savior. The Scripture is written to us personally. It's not necessarily to a corporate group, and I don't use that terminology in reference to a corporation, but simply a body of believers. There's a difference between writing to an entire body, although that's what Paul is writing to here, than there is writing to each individual that make up that body. You see, our God's a personal God. In most churches today, and we made reference to some of them earlier, in most churches today, the mindset is the whole body. The, this church... Not little Mrs. Smith that sits down here that's a widow woman that prays faithfully every day for the people of the church. Not old Mr. Jones in the back there that does everything he can, although he's physically limited now, but he tries to do things to help out folks in the church. Not, not, not the folks that are, are busy doing the work of the ministry and aiding the pastor to accomplish what God has laid upon their hearts to do there. No, it's, more, it's the church. I remember one year I was a, an assistant pastor in a church in uh, Ephrata, Pennsylvania for four years. And a year or two before I got there, that church, Liberty Baptist Church, Doug Withers was the pastor. Liberty Baptist Church won a contest at pastor school. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to pastor school up there at uh, uh, First Baptist Church of Hammond. If you have, I'm sorry. But uh, I went one time, and that was enough for me. Uh, but uh, they had contests. And what they would do is they would give out, and they may still do this, I have no idea, but they give out big awards to people for great accomplishments. You know what that is? That is the praise of men. That's not giving praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I remember a couple of years before I became an assistant pastor in that church, that that church was voted as being the fastest growing Sunday school in America. They gave them a church bus. I don't know how we can have church here without having buses. You know, every other big church has buses. But we just kind of, listen, we, we'd probably be better off having buggies. But uh, they gave that church that bus. And you know what? It, was, it wasn't a new one. And I spent some time alongside the road with that bus broken down. But man, they were awarded that thing. Wow, it was a big whiz-bang deal. That's not the picture of the church that we find in the Bible. The Bible teaches the principle that what we do, we do for the cause of Christ. We give Him the glory. We don't keep it ourselves. It's not so people can say, we have the best church in America. I think the folks that are part of this church should believe that this is where God wants them or they should go somewhere else. But in the meantime, they should believe that, hey, this is the best church for me. Brothers and sisters, there are many fine churches across this country. There are many Great pastors standing behind pulpits today, preaching the word of God to people that are concerned and want to live for Jesus Christ. But as Paul begins his writing here, he begins in a very personal way. Once you notice something else, that this letter is written by three men. Not just one. Look at it with me. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. You know, that says something to me this morning. These three men are ministers. 
Why does this exhortation to the church or to the people of the Thessalonian church come from three different men? Well, it's because all three of these men have been involved in the founding and encouraging of this church. I want to show it to you this morning. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and gave them much exhortation, he came into Greece. Anybody know where Thessalonica is? Anybody have an idea? I want you to know that on one of Paul's missionary journeys, he visited these folks. Not only that, but look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 3. See, some of you are getting your thinking caps on saying, now is the preacher right about that, about Thessalonica? You let me know after service, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to notice with me, secondly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, speaking of the Thessalonian Christians, and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know... For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. So Paul is encouraged here. But I want you to know that Timothy is sent for a special visit to this church. Timothy ministered to these people as well, the people there in Thessalonica, for the very purpose of helping them, he is sent. Now, all three of these ministers wrote to the church at least two times, all right? Look with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Once again, we see Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians. See, it's a little bit different there. It's to the Church of the Thessalonians, the same there. I'm sorry, my senior moment. But both books are written from all three men. This is an indication to us here this morning, folks, that there should be no jealousy amongst ministers. Paul, Paul might have, you know, well, you know, I, I'm the apostle. Timotheus, well, you know, I'm the young buck evangelist here that's been sent up. Man, you train me, Paul. I mean, uh, who is this Sylvanus guy? There is no jealousy between these ministers. All three of these ministers are involved in the work of the ministry. Now, the point is, the church in Thessalonica was strong because there was a consistency of men that dealt and ministered there that gave them the ability to learn and to become strong as people of God. I want you to know this morning that if the pulpit fails, the church fails. I want you to know I say those words very guardedly because I know who that puts the onus on. 
This is why the pastor needs to be upheld in prayer by everyone every day. He needs that. Why? Because without that and the help of the Holy Spirit of God, then he cannot consistently minister to the saints that sit in the pew in order that they may grow in the grace and the knowledge of the truth. These men continued to stay in touch from every indication we have in Scripture. These men continued to stay in touch with the church of the Thessalonians, the people that were there. They encouraged them. They exhorted them. These men were faithful. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many churches do you and I know of that lack strength because their ministers have not remained faithful or because their ministers have not exhorted them? You see, a minister can be faithful and lack exhortation, which really, in a way, that's a lack of faithfulness as well. We're going to talk in a little while about some certain specific responsibilities of the minister, but before we do that, let's look at a few things here. The church lacks strength because many times the pastor, the leadership, fails to encourage the people to follow on with the Lord. You know, it's a very exciting time when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. At least it was for me. Wonderful time in your life. The burden of sin has been lifted. Now you're on your way to heaven. Uh, you're, 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 you're now part of the family of God. Uh, God. All the promises of Scripture that God has given in particular uh, to the child of God now fall in your lap. Uh, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. We'll rule and reign with Him. We can go on and on with all the things that the Bible tells us that we have. But many times... People get beyond that period of time when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they slack off. It becomes mundane. You know, well, yeah. And, and sometimes we find ourselves thinking it might be a more positive thing for us that Sunday of the bad weather if the preacher cancels than if he has service. They fail to exhort them. To follow on with the Lord. Paul probably was the greatest minister in the New Testament at least. And I want you to notice what he had to say about Silas and, and Timothy. Well, he, well, I should say that he acknowledged Silas and Timothy as his equals. But the Bible tells us in Acts 14, beginning of verse 21, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Look at Titus chapter 2, beginning of verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing, excuse me, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I want you to notice the importance of the faithfulness of the minister. You know, one of the things that the Bible calls the minister in Scripture, he is related to and, and compared to a shepherd. Similar, uh, similar name, uh, same responsibility. But I want you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn with me back a few chapters here in the Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me, let me share a few things with you today. And I know we've covered some of these things in our Bible Institute, but 
I want to point out just a few things this morning, and later on in our study, uh, we'll cover these more in particular. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, uh, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I want you to notice with me, and most of you will know these, but the first and foremost responsibility of the pastor, the shepherd, is to lead. Now, there are a number of ramifications to this small four-letter word. The pastor is to lead. What's the first attribute of a leader? He goes first. He goes first. Pretty basic, pretty bottom line. But the Bible teaches that this responsibility falls upon a pastor. Paul says, listen, you guys follow me as I follow Christ. I would behoove you the same thing this morning. I'm certainly no apostle. I'm just a sinner saved by grace like you are. But you follow me as I follow Christ. Because when I cease to follow Christ, you should cease to follow me. You see. Because ultimately, we're to follow our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all things in this life. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy, if you would, please. We're going to jump around and look at a few scriptures here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to notice what 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 has to say. Paul's writing to Timothy, but Paul had placed Timothy in a position of some leadership. We've talked about that in Bible Institute. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I want you to notice that by inference, Paul tells Timothy, don't, don't let it bother you what people think about your background. Don't let it bother you what people might think about your stature. Don't let it bother you what people may think about, you know, what's taking place in your education and where you're from and who your father is. Just get out there and lead. That's the responsibility of a shepherd. He is to lead. I want you to notice with me secondly, and these get more unpopular as we go. The shepherd is to reckon. The word reckon means to number or to count. But the Saxon word from which this, whence this word came goes far deeper. You know what it means? It means to care and to esteem. Lots of times when we think of reckoning, we think of taking account, don't we? You ever get a text message from the preacher when you're not there on Sunday that says we missed you? See, I should notice that. Sometimes I... Maybe forget, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm as old as Brother Greg now, so it's easy to forget, right? But the pastor has a responsibility to reckon. He has a responsibility to number, if you please. You're familiar with the story in the scriptures of the 99 and the lost sheep. And the shepherd reckons and realizes that one sheep is lost. But he doesn't simply cease when he makes the count and realizes that he's lost one, what does he do? He cares for that lost sheep, and he esteems that lost sheep more important than his ability to relax or his private time or the things he's interested in. And what's he do? He goes after that sheep. You see, that is reckoning. You see, for a shepherd, a heart of love for the flock should supersede any love he has for gain. By the way, I, I don't believe the Bible gives us uh, as shepherds, 
the option of being in this thing for the money. Now, there are a lot of guys that are in for the money. You just watch the way they live. You just watch the things they have. You watch how unsatisfied they are with what they have wanting more. And you watch their reaction when they find they can't get more because they've squeezed that church for all she's worth. And all of a sudden, God calls them somewhere else. That man's a hireling. He's no more interested in the, in the safety and the care and the reckoning of the sheep than he is someone that you would hire to do that job for you. You know, young David was taught by his father to reckon. He had to make sure. Not only, not only did he have to make sure that all the sheep were there, but David had a responsibility of dealing with the danger when it came and esteeming the sheep more important than his own safety. You say, well, yeah, what did he do? Killed a lion, killed a bear. Try it, buddy. <laughs> Help yourself. No, no, don't take that big, uh, big 300 wind mag with you. No hand grenades, right? You just go out there with whatever weapon David may have had, and we know that one of his favorites was nothing more than a slang. And if you're willing to take, and it tickles me, these people go out, yeah, yeah, we went out, I went out all by myself, hunted down a bear. Really? Did you kill it? Yeah, I killed it. What'd you use? 300 wind mag. Well, big whoop, the bear doesn't have a gun. Yeah, but he charged me. Yeah, but you got that, what, 300, 300 grain or however big grain bullet going through the air at so many feet per second and hitting him between the eyeballs and dropping him dead. You better be a good shot or it's not going to do you any good to have a 300 wind mag out there hunting for bear. But I'm amazed at these guys. Yeah, I took one with a bow. Man, they've got these tips for your bows now. I mean to tell you what. They will shred things. It's amazing. They've got some of them that they'll flip out when they hit the target. I mean, put holes through things. I've seen guys take shots, go all the way through a huge animal with a bow. Yeah, boy, I took him with a bow. No, go out there and take him with your bare hand. Take him with a slant. David had to reckon. David had to take care of the sheep. His love for the flock was more important than his love for gain or his love for himself. Let me show you a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I think I wrote down the wrong verse, folks. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It's a good verse. But the Bible speaks the verse that I was thinking of. The fact that he reckons or makes account with his right hand. You understand the significance between the hands in Scripture? The right hand is the hand of favor. The right hand is the hand of blessing. If you see the verse, let me know. The right hand is the one that the shepherd uses to reckon with. All right? Uh, goodness is at his right hand, you see. The shepherd should reckon with all the ability that he possibly has for the sake of the sheep. Thirdly, I've got to move on. The shepherd does this. The shepherd feeds. Verse 2. Which chapter, Brother Jim? Oh, you know what the problem is? If you're in the book of Proverbs, <laughs> you're not going to find it. Thank you, brother. So I was right. Hey, there it is. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. You see, for the shepherd... The sheep are at his right hand. Why? Because the Bible tells us that that's where the wise man's heart 
is. You see, when a shepherd reckons, he reckons with the best of his ability. Then thirdly, he feeds. Thank you, brother, for finding that verse. What's that mean? That means when you come and sit down, I've got to have something to say. I get up here and say, hey, what do you think about that ball score? Yeah, boy, what about them whoever's? Boy, I'm pulling for the whatever's. You know, we're standing for the who's what's it. Yeah, boy. Ah, uh, tell you a joke. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh. You know, the shepherd needs to have something to feed the sheep with. What good does it do for a shepherd to stand before his sheep with no feed? I mean, why do you guys come here? We come see how long the preacher's beer's gotten since last Sunday. <laughs> yeah. We're coming to see if his beard ever did get kind of puff out there, you know. Now, we can't. I came because I wanted to see what the so-and-sos were putting on their children. I came because last week, Miss So-and-so didn't shake my hand. Why do we gather together here? We come to be fed, you see. And if the, if, the, if the shepherd has nothing to feed with, then he does the sheep no good. Notice this fourthly. The shepherd is to be attentive. Now, this is where many times the sheep get a little nervous. Because in, in the responsibility of being attentive, the pastor has to be willing. Boy, about need a haircut there, huh? <laughs> I like to pick on the guys down front here. <laughs> uh, he has to be so attentive that when he sees a sheep that's sick, not only must he be willing to deal with that sheep one-on-one, -on -one, but if necessary... He needs to move that sheep to the side so that that sheep doesn't infect the rest of the flock. Being attentive is a tremendous responsibility for a pastor. And in being attentive, that means that the pastor should know all of the sheep. I try real hard. Pray for me. I try real hard. Not only know you old people, but I try to know the children. You know why? Because as I'm a shepherd here, my responsibility is to be attentive to all of the sheep. You say, well... Them, they're black sheep. They're not white sheep yet. They haven't trusted Christ. Yeah, but they need to learn that the pastor loves them anyway. They need to learn that the purpose of being here is in order that they might be encouraged to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That the young people might be encouraged to know that the pastor is attentive enough to these young men down here to want to encourage them to go in the right direction, to stay away from the wrong things, to, to avoid the wrong influences in life. To be motivated, motivated to be more like Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches the principle that young people, especially in the time of their youth, are to serve the Lord. That's where you learn to serve the Lord. The shepherd must be attentive. Look there with me in John chapter 10, if you would. John chapter 10. Let's begin reading. I'm going to start in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, 
and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. You see the importance of the relationship that the shepherd has as he is attentive to the sheep. Remember, Jesus says later on in this chapter, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The, she the sheep of the local assembly should know the voice of their pastor. But more importantly, the pastor should know every one of the sheep. It's a sacrifice of time. It's a sacrifice of many things for him. But the shepherd lays aside himself because his, most, his greatest concern is the attentiveness that he is to have to the sheep. I know sometimes pastors, because they're human beings, fail in areas like this. And, and sometimes the sheep are of the opinion that it's because the pastor doesn't care. But that's not it. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the shepherd. The shepherd is attentive. And then number five. The shepherd guards. When the shepherd comes up and says, you know, I understand that this and so, this thus and so is taking place. Uh, I want to point something out to you that maybe you didn't know. I know some people. Uh, one of their favorite preachers is Charles Stanley. You know, you've heard of him. Boy, and boy, he's a great orator. You know, he's like Chuck Swindle and all those other guys. Uh, they're great voices. Uh, uh, that other guy out in California, whatever his name is, doesn't really matter. But uh, great voices and great communicators. And, boy, everything's in line. And, and boy, they, they, never, they never have a slip-up or a mistake. And I, I've had some people, oh, we think that Charles Stanley. And I've said, you know, he really doesn't belong in his pulpit. You know that. People say, well, what do you mean? Well, he's, he's divorced man. Oh, I say, well, Richard, well, that hits close to home with me. Well, that, that's not my purpose, but I am pointing out an inconsistency there. Because I have a responsibility to guard you people. Because what the devil will do when we as Christian people begin to water down God's guidelines, boundaries, we just talked about that. The devil will start working in other areas as well to get us to slack up and lay down things, you say. Oh, he's a, he's a great orator. So is Hitler. You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, man, he, he really, wow, he, he, really, he really knows the Bible. Some of the greatest shams that have ever walked knew the Bible. He's got the guard. There are two primary aspects of guarding. Number one is watchfulness. He's got to watch. Don't let it bother you if you look up and I'm looking at you. <laughs> Why? I have a responsibility being watchful. Hey, not only that, but in particular, especially the men in this church. You need to help me with that, guys. We've got to be watchful. There have been a few times in the nine, almost nine years we've been a, a church family that uh, we, we've had some people show up, and either I have gone around to some of you men or some of you men mentioned to me, said, we better watch this guy, and what do we do? We watch Keep an eye on them. Why? There's, there's, precious, there's precious sheep here. We got young people here. We got children here. We got, we've got ladies here. We've got men here that, that don't need the effect nor the danger of someone coming in here. So we've got to be watchful. 
The second aspect of being a guard is defense. You know, there are a lot of slick-haired wolves that circle the flock of Jesus Christ. They're all slicked down. They're all sharp. You know, we all look good. Uh, I would rather be watchful and stand back and watch somebody for a while to see beyond their superficial outside to see what they really are on the inside. That tells you a whole lot. But you see, we've got to guard. What's that mean? I mean, sir, uh, I'm afraid you're going to have to leave. Oh, well, how could you possibly? It's my job. Well, I don't like it. Well, obviously, you don't belong here. You know, I mean, we appreciate you coming, but you know what? If you, if you can't understand that biblical principle, because that's the way we're going to work around here, we don't mean any offense to anybody, but <clears throat> this flock that God has given us is, is far more important than to let, than to let some slick-haired, wide-eyed, grinny-faced, Cheshire cat individual come in here and try and destroy things. We're going to say, I'm sorry. Well, you can't do Oh, yeah, we can't. Yeah, well, who's going to do it? Well, if these men don't take care of it, which I'm sure they would, I'll do my best. And if I can't, we got some women can throw you out. <laughs> Buddy, we've got, to, we've got to guard. You know, not, not only do you have to guard yourself as a child of God, but the church, the pastor, the shepherd has a responsibility to guard. So please don't ever, don't ever take it in the wrong way. If the pastor comes and says, well, you know, uh, thus and so. Uh, you know, I noticed something about your children. Oh, you know, that's a real sensitive thing with a lot of people. You know, I, I just wish, uh, my wife and I had a few individuals that loved us enough when we were raising our children to be willing to come and say something to us. We had a lot of critics. You always have the critics. Uh, and usually it's people who's, who don't have children of their own or they're just wild as a March hare. But they want to tell you how to raise your children properly, you know. But we, we, had, we had a few people that were concerned. Hey, you know, if someone comes to you in love and concern, and especially if it's a pastor who says, Can I, you know, I noticed this thing. I, I, I think that's going to lead in a wrong direction. I, I've actually had, listen, I've actually had some men in this church come to me and say, Pastor, if you see something in my family, please tell me. That's an encouragement to me. Why? Because you're perfect, preacher. Are your children perfect? You all know my children. You know that's not true. You know it's not true. But you know what? I mean, we've been at it for a while. Uh, you have other advantages here, too. Got some other folk here. Some folk have been parents and grandparents a lot longer than my wife and I have. Not, not a whole lot. There are a few here. The pastor has got to guard the flock. And then last of all, and then I've got to move on. Number six. The shepherd loves. I think love is one of those words that is an ultimate word. It talks about ultimate sacrifice. In other words, as the shepherd loves the church, that means he is willing to put forth any sacrifice to be of help if he possibly can. Now, you folk know this, and I just mentioned this by way of illustration, but we live out of this box. We've done that for 25 years. Uh, we don't heap any praise upon ourselves because our flesh did not want to do that. But the folk of this church make it possible for my wife and I to be here. They sacrifice. So whatever comes in in that box, and many times, you may have seen me sometimes, sometimes I'll just pray a little bit before I open that box because God knows what our needs are. 
But anything that comes in there as shepherd, I should feel no qualms whatsoever in using that to be a help to the sheep. Yeah, well, preacher, that's your money. I don't have any of my own money. This is a bum. <laughs> been 25 years since I've had money of my own. All I have is the money that the saints give to me through their gifts. But that should not be more important than loving the sheep. You know, sometimes when you love somebody, you have to say things that hurt them. And many times, no matter what the heart of the pastor may be as he shares those things, if he is 100% correct and 100% loving, sometimes the sheep don't take it that way. But he has to do it just the same. So in order for the church to be what she needs to be, first of all and foremost, the leadership must be what it needs to be. Notice with me secondly today. A strong church is a church of the people. Now think about this with me for just a moment. A lot of times when people think of church, they think of pastor. I understand that's an integral part of the church. But really, when we think of church, we should think of this whole body. What's that mean? That means if an occasion arises where a decision has to be made, that we understand ultimately that the leadership of the church falls upon the pastor, and ultimately that decision must be his. Now, if you don't believe that, then you don't understand the teachings of Scripture. All right? This is not a congregationally-led church. This is a pastorally-led church. But the congregation is an integral part in every decision that's made. That's why when a decision has to be made, you know, we'll go, we'll talk, I'll talk to some of the men. I may even ask some of the ladies. Why? Because there are folks here that have good input for me. Usually when you, when, you, when you are dealing with a situation, you have a lot of, uh, the, the, the stronger your church grows, the more people you have in the middle than you have on the extremes. You have some people, you ask them, oh, no, no, that, that can't possibly, oh, no, yeah, oh. Then you have other people on the other end of the extreme, that anything, oh, whatever you say, whatever, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 they're yes men. When really we should be here in the middle. Why? Because a strong church is a church of the people. I mentioned as we began that Paul did not address this letter to the church at Thessalonica. He addressed it to the church of the Thessalonians. Why? Because the church was the people. The church is the people. I teased my grandchildren. They asked me to do this. Probably do this. You know, here's the church. Here's the steeple open wide. And here's all the people. The church is, you'll never forget, that's probably the only thing you remember about this whole message. The church is the people. It's very important that we understand that principle this morning, and I know that you folk do. Without people who are committed to the Lord, there is no church. You say, well, boy, what about this? This guy started this church, he had all these folks coming in, none of them were saved, blah, 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 and it was just him. But listen, as the church grows and the strength of the church grows, we realize it is the People, a strong church is a church of the people. It's a church that is excuse me, comprised of all the people. Say, well, uh, only the people of such and such an age. 
are part of the church. You know, I understand when it comes to making decisions that there should be an, an age of responsibility. But hey, these children are part of this church. Say, well, well, them children aren't even saved. Well, were you saved the first time you stepped into a church door? The church must be comprised of all the people. Not only that, it's got to be built on all the people. In other words, there's not the primo family over here. We are the hmm, number oneers. Yeah, that's us. Uh, I'm a primo number one, number oneer, and this is my wife, Primavera, number oneer. She sounds like Italian food. And then the rest of our children, they're a number oneers. And the church is founded. Listen, if this church is founded upon a single family or a single individual, this church is destined to failure. Why? It must be built upon all the people. Not only that, thirdly, the strong church acknowledges the importance of every one of the people. Everyone. I was listening to a message here a while back, and I may have mentioned this in the last, within the last couple of weeks, but the man brought out some very interesting points to me, talking about being the proper shepherd and, and being in context with all the people and, and, and knowing them as well. He, asked, he said one day he was talking to another preacher, and he asked this preacher, he said, have you got any, have you, got any you know, dear saints? Oh, that's all the same. I got this one, brother. I mean, brother, he, I just love him in the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And, and the other preacher stopped him and said, how's he take his coffee? And the first preacher said, uh, I, I, I don't even know if he drinks coffee. Where does he work? Uh, uh. And it brought into the mind of the preacher that was being questioned that he really didn't know his people the way he should. Do I want to know all about you? No. But I want to know as much about you as I should. I want to know your name. Brothers and sisters, I've been in churches where the pastor didn't even know the names of the people. And you're Mrs. Uh, Jones, Pastor. I'm Mrs. Jones. Okay, next Sunday. And you're Mrs. Smith. No, Pastor, I'm Mrs. Jones. How long have you been coming here, Mrs. Jones? Eight years. Oh. You see, we have, the strong church stresses the importance of every person that's a part of it. You say, well, preacher, I, I don't stand up there and preach. Uh, I, don't, I don't lead singing. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, get opportunities as a young man, to, to have some experience leading. I, I, all I do, all I do is sit in the pew. You're just as important in a strong church. Not only that, a strong church is a church that involves and uses the gifts of the people. Well, I'm a pastor here. Nobody else is going to preach. Really? Are there some men in your church, preacher, that have that ability or God's motivate them in that direction? Yes, sir. Then you ought to be letting them preach once in a while. A strong church is a church that recognizes and, ex and esteems not only the presence of every one of the sheep, but also the contributions that they make. There are several things that will always weaken a church. Building a church upon a few people or the leaders, that will weaken your church. Ignoring and neglecting the needs of some of the members. Ah, they're needy. They're always needy. Maybe you've never helped them. Failing to involve and use the gifts of some members. A strong church 
is a church of the people. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. Almost through. Look at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. We can stop right there and be done for the day, huh? But to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What's that mean? That means God's given every believer some faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You see the stress there on the individuals? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is one, not one member, but many. One more passage. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. You see, faith unifies, brothers and sisters. It doesn't drive us apart. And of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So first of all, the leaders of the church have to be consistent. Number two, we must understand as far as a strong church is concerned, that a strong church is a church of the people. It's talking about diligence here. Faithfulness. I was reading just this week about diligence and faithfulness. You know, there are lots of, lots of examples that we have of that in our society and down through history. Uh, I'm thankful that somebody watched the church bell tower the night that Paul Revere made his ride so that he could warn that the British were coming. I'm thankful of many other things that have taken place in history, but many times because of the busyness of our society and because of the lack of remembrance and reminding, we have a tendency to forget of the importance of diligence and vigilance. As I said a moment ago, I was reading this week of a, a group of individuals that most here have heard of, some of us have seen them, but many times in the busyness of our lives, we have the tendency to forget of their diligence. Big snowstorms gone through the west coast or the east coast. As I said a moment ago earlier, we had read about 40 inches in one place. My mother said that the snow is halfway up the garage doors at her place. That would be about this high. She said she snowed in. She's not going anywhere. I said, well, Mom, you're 82. That's a good idea. You stay home. And I read about all of the, boy, you know, I, I read a, a story yesterday that, that the, the, New, the New York Police Department said 
If we catch you out on the street after 2 o'clock today, you're going to jail. So, well, I've got my rights. Yeah, you got your rights to be dumb enough to go out on the street and get stuck. You'll be thrown in jail. But basically, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and on up the eastern seaboard, things shut down to just about nothing. Can you imagine what it must have been like for firemen? If there was a fire, it had to get out. Emergency people to get out and help folks. More than likely, there will be people that have lost their electricity. You know, that's another group of people that many times we forget of their diligence. I know they're, they're paid well and they, and they charge a lot of money for electricity, but you know what? I'm glad when my power goes out to see somebody from REMC driving down the highway. But in the midst of all the shutdowns, in the midst of everything that's taken place, there's at least one group of individuals sworn to their duty that have not abandoned their post. And that's the men that guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. Did you know that in the midst of this raging blizzard, those men, think what you like about what it represents, and we're not pushing nationalism here, or sadism. But in the midst of everything that's taken place, those men have remained on guard day and night. I came across their creed this week. I want you to listen to the creed. They all the men that work the tomb of the unknown soldier. They have to. Uh, they're from different branches of the service, but they all have to be similar in physical stature, and so on and so forth. And if you, how many of you have ever been there and seen the tomb of the unknown soldier? Those are some of the sharpest military men I have ever seen. Here's the creed that they have to memorize. My dedication to the sacred duty is total and wholehearted in the responsibility bestowed on me never will I falter and with dignity and perseverance my standard will remain perfection through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability it is he who commands the respect I protect his bravery that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. Wow. Let's rephrase this for the church. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is God who commands the respect I protect. His bravery on the cross that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. Church, can we be as faithful as the tomb of the unknown soldier man? Can we do it with diligence? Can we be vigilant? 
It is the strong church that's made up and based upon the people, but it is the people that must be diligent. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now.
gentlemen, I'm Alfred Addisk, and this is the American Independence Hour for 26th day of July. What is this? A Tuesday, of course. Year of our Lord, 2016. Um, start with my disclaimer du jour. Man made in God's image is for Genesis 1, 26 through 28. I'm endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights, as per the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. And I have not really an addition to my disclaimer, but an amplification that follows that second point. I am endowed by my Creator with certain unalienable rights. This is declared to be a self-evident truth in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That means no proof is necessary. This is true. These are axioms. These are true. Uh, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, Paul made a comment in Romans 11.29. And he said, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Well, I'm not going to include that in my disclaimer, per se. But if push came to shove and I had to make my disclaimer pitch in a court or wherever... I would be inclined to bring that up. It's part of the Christian faith that whatever I am given by God is irrevocable. This is consistent with the idea that my rights that are from God are unalienable. They are irrevocable. No one can take them away from me. Third point, my disclaimer is I am one of the people of the state of Texas, a member of the state of the perpetual union styled the United States of America. I'm broadcasting from within the borders of the state of Texas. I'm acting at arm's length, and I deny that I've ever voluntarily agreed to act as fiduciary or surety for the United States government. That is enough to get the program started, provided that the co-host is here. Frank, are you here, or are you AWOL again? Oh, no. Again? What do you mean, again? I'm always here. I don't know, Frank. Sometimes it feels like, you know, one of us isn't all there. Well, Either I'm not all there or you're not sometimes. It's hard to say. Well, you've got my vote. For the one that's not all there? <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I, you know what? First, I just thought of something. Yours isn't the first vote cast in that, in that particular election. Oh, man, and always the last one. You know, yeah. I just can't win. Yeah. But I do have an idea. <laughs> I'll alert the media. I was just no wait. We're the media, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, well, yeah. I was just sitting here, you know, and listening, and and I'm reading along while you're while you're, you know, saying your disclaimer, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's a really great disclaimer, but it's a little lengthy. Yeah. And I was thinking, hey, how is about adding like a Ninth Amendment sort of clause to the disclaimer, saying, oh, and by the way. If I missed anything... It's actually a good idea. You know, uh, this is not all my rights. This is not everything. No, absolutely. But the Ninth Amendment is what really gives us our standing to make a claim on the rights in the Declaration of Independence. Well, sure, and the, and the Articles of Confederation, you know, also. Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, and whatever rights you can trace, trace back to the Bible. But generally speaking, I don't know that I've ever seen a right referenced in the Bible that could be traced directly to God, in the sense where God says, this is your right to do this, that, or the other. 
Well, it may be there, but I don't recall seeing one. Well, and it might not be mentioned as a right, but like when God says, uh, "Well, you know, you know, you're made in our image, and and you have dominion over the animal." That's a right. I agree with that. I agree. It doesn't use the word right, but they are declaring you have dominion over the animals. But the one thing about it is this: there are still rights in the in the Bible, and they're found based on the idea that for every right, there is a correlative duty. Sure. All right? So I may not be able to find a passage in the Bible that says, I have a particular right. But I can find passages in the Bible that say other people have a particular duty. And if they have a duty to do something in relationship to people like myself, I have that right. Their duty creates my right. My right creates their duty. And I know there's a standard axiom of law that to claim a right that has no correlative duty, there's no such thing. You don't have a right unless somebody else has got a duty. And it may be that the judge has the duty to see that you are you receive substantive due process in your trial. Or it may be that the police have a duty to see that you receive... I don't know, procedural or administrative due process or whatever. But their duty creates your right. So you can still find rights in the Bible, but you've got to make that step. Go to look for the duties, and they imply the rights. I've got a couple items here that I that I uh, added to this week's <laughs> version of the list of topics. And one is number 10 on the list of uh, uh, URLs that we can visit. This one is from Find Law. If you see number 10. Yep. I'm pulling it up right now. Okay. Microsoft doesn't have to turn over emails. Oh, yeah, I read this story Yeah. earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is pretty cool. A little bit of good news. Here's an interesting news. It says Microsoft doesn't have to turn over emails on foreign servers. And it says in part, introduces a story where I can read the whole thing, but it says the U.S. government cannot legally compel Microsoft to hand over customer emails stored in Irish servers unless, or excuse me, under the Stored Communications Act. This is according to the Second Circuit. Uh, federal court. It's a major win for both tech and privacy advocates. It is believed that Microsoft is the first company company to challenge a domestic search warrant over data held in another country. Well, I mean, imagine, imagine the arrogance of the United States government oh. to say, well, we wrote a law, so now you have to give up the stuff in Ireland. It's like, what? You know, the arrogance behind that is unbelievable, that they think they can run around the world. Oh, I know. Uh, you well, it's know. like enforcing internal revenue laws around the world. Yeah, well, they got away with that. Now they figure they know. can just do this, too, in the court. I understand. It, it wasn't a, a split ruling, either. It was, no, 3-0. It was just, <laughs> it's a shutout. Yeah, I understand. Um, the thing that, the reason this interests me is I'm curious as to whether the United States of America or the state of Texas can be deemed to be foreign countries relative to the United States. Well, and I think it's I think it is unless of course the, you know we go back to the constitution where it has look the states agreed to 
basically surrender certain portions of sovereignty. But under the is, Constitution, right? What is it? Nine, nine things or something that they? I don't know. The I government think can do. That may be seventeen, but I'm not sure. Okay, but there are nine or seventeen. But it, the thing yeah. is, it's it's they're doing far more than what the states agreed yeah. to. And I think if you're beyond what is in the on the page there, then that has to only apply to the United States. And if it's in the Constitution that hey, look, the states agree to this, then yeah, okay, that probably applies in, you know, yep. the states of the union also. But you know, I think if you're off the page. Oh, it definitely applies in the States of the Union. Uh, um, the the union. limits apply, the limits in limited government apply within the States of the Union. Right. The lack of limits apply in the territories and the districts. Right. And, and the States of the United States, their Congress can do anything it wants. And I think that that's, that, that, that's your point, is the United States of America, uh-huh. you know, any server in Oregon is a foreign server to the United States of America, you know, the federal government of the United States of America. I think but that's probably correct. Not so much with the United States and Oregon, you know, whatever that is. Uh, now Oregon is a state of the United States. Territory, district, whatever. It's like one of their little, <laughs> it's like one of their adopted children. Fiefdom. You know, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's, but the know. point, what would happen if your computer could be properly identified? What if you just put a label on it? This computer is intended to operate only within the United States of America. Yeah. Well, no. what if you, you, you've got is that it? Is a guarantee? Your... No, but it's, it's interesting. It's well, they'll have, to, they'll have to deal with it because yeah, I mean, I the thing is, what if you have your whole property? And say, look, man, where I live is not in your district. It's not in your yeah. territory. I understand. I might go into your territory because I can't avoid it. You know, I, I if I have to go into a post office, well, I, I can't even argue that's not their territory. You know, and I might go there, but I don't live there, and I don't keep my stuff there, and I can yeah. leave there. I agree. I don't think this is a permanent deal. The fact that you have ever walked into... A state of the United States, acting, in my opinion, under Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 of the Constitution. The fact that you ever been there, ever visited there, even resided there, is not proof that you're still there today. No, just part of the reason. Part of the reason I say that is because we have multiple devices to create the presumption that you have stumbled into these territorial states. Sure, and like driver's licenses and utility bills and. Uh, bank signature cards and registration for vehicles and use of Federal Reserve notes. And I have no idea how many of the different devices, but if it were just one birth certificate, for example, that puts you into these alternative states, they put you in at one time. It can't be forever no. because it would be involuntary. Um, they have to rely that you voluntarily, you voluntarily walked into this fictional state. Well, and we, we also have, you know, the courts have ruled, and not on this particular issue, but on something similar that you could at least, through reason, tie together. And they have ruled over and over again that, okay, so you've got an automobile. Mm-hmm. How you're using it depends yeah. upon what its status is, not 
oh, it's an automobile, it's automatically, a, 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 you know, oh, you went and got passenger it registered. Vehicle. Yeah, you know, you even went and got it registered as a passenger vehicle. That doesn't make it a passenger vehicle all the time. Yep. Only when you're using it as a passenger vehicle is it actually a passenger vehicle. Because it's one of these things that has many, you know, it can be a passenger vehicle, it can be household goods. It can be different things based on its usage. It can be a passenger vehicle at 10 o'clock at night. It can be a uh, a means of transportation at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, and at midnight, it can be a... depends on what you're doing at the moment, and it raises an interesting point. Like your friend did, you know, at midnight, it can turn into lawn art. (laughs) Or maybe a pumpkin. That was, (laughs) you know... But, you know, where was I going with this? The police officer, how does he know that you're using the vehicle as a passenger vehicle when you're driving down the road? Well, he presumes you are because you have a registration plate on I agree with says, you. Hey, look. What, a- if, <laughs> what if when he got to the window, or maybe even if he put something on the back of the car, said this vehicle is not being used as a passenger vehicle right now? Yeah. Well, I but if you came to the window and you said, hey, uh, you understand I'm not running this as a passenger vehicle right now, that I'm not engaged in commerce right now, yeah, would that be enough to send him packing before, wow, I need to see your license and your proof of insurance? Not unless he got... Do I even need insurance if I'm not engaged in commerce? No. I, no. Because you I don't know if full, I do or I don't. I don't think you do. You have full liability at that point. I mean, if you, if you injure somebody, <laughs> you're going to be held responsible. You know, that's that's the thing. If you're not in commerce, you're just out there, man. You are liable. Yeah, you know, I understand. I mean, you know, insurance gives you a limited liability sort of thing in business, uh, you know, commerce, whatever. But, you know, unless the cop got the class to where, you know, his boss said, listen, you run into any of these kind of people, just shake your head and let them go because they're more trouble than they're worth and we ain't going to make any money. Uh, he isn't going to have any clue of what you're saying. Well, I understand that, but it's one of the things that you do on the record, if at sure. all possible, and you are creating evidence that might not do you any good right now, or maybe even for the next three nights you spend in the slammer, <laughs> yeah. but eventually you're going to be invaded in front of a judge, and there may be an audio recording from the police officer himself that said, yes, this, that, and the other. And yeah. the judge might say, huh, I think this guy know what he, might know what he's talking and he's about. More trouble Let's than he's dismiss worth. this yeah. case. We're not yeah. going to make any money off not of this. Not going to make any money here. These cheap, these <laughs> <laughs> cheap patriots. Yeah. It just galls me that we let them into our <laughs> casino and we can't make any money off of them. You know, back in the day when I was driving around with, you know, I actually made my own plate, you know. And I, I didn't just sit home and make my own plate and throw in my car. I actually made a plate, put it on a, a piece of paper with an explanation, and I recorded it in our county rec- recorder. And my plate number was the recording number. Yep. And I'm driving around with this thing, and I've got right where the cop comes up to the window on the roof part in these stick-on letters that, you know, the, then I varnished over so they don't fall off, you know, household goods. You know, and then I had a another thing on the back window on the inside Claim, you know, making the statement that this this car is not abandoned. Yep. Because if you look at the statutes about getting your car towed, uh-huh. it's all based on abandonment. Yeah. You're not in your car. It's on the side of the road. They presume it is abandoned. Yeah. And that's how they justify towing it away. 
So I put that on the back, and you know that that truck never that truck was never registered, never drove it with insurance. Uh, I never even got pulled over in that truck. You know, so so where did you go wrong since then? Well, I uh, I got pulled over in every time I got pulled over the 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 truck I was in or the car I was in had a license plate on it. Uh-huh. You know, a state of Oregon license plate uh, on there or an Oregon license plate. Because it doesn't say state of Oregon on our license plate. It just says Oregon. Yep. Uh, I don't know if that's true in every... Uh, I don't know if there's any... I don't think I've... I've never heard of it, an exception to that observation. It's Texas down here. It's okay. not state of Texas. Okay, yeah. I, I You know, I just... It just crossed my mind that I, yeah, it doesn't. No, I think that's what it is. They might as well put O-R-T-X-I-L-C-A-F-L. Yeah. Put your zip code state number on there or your zip code territory. I did did see a Florida uh, license plate the other day, and and they have their website on theirs. Well, that's interesting. Myflorida.com. For anybody who's interested, that's what it is, and it's right on their license plate. On the top or the bottom? The or bottom, where? where where other states have, like, where Florida would be. Yeah, I get you. They have their... Sunshine they, State or their Orange Shore. Well, they still have like, that. They have their little slogan on top. And then where on the bottom, where, like, Oregon has Oregon, they yep. have their website. So. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's... That would be one, because that can't be done... But they still say Florida, just Florida. MyFlorida.com. That's interesting. Are you telling me that they don't have a section that just says Florida? No, not that I noticed. Oregon or Texas or whatever, they don't have a section that just says Oregon. Nope, they've got the numbers, and then they've got, like, behind the numbers, they've got a picture of, like, I think it's an orange. And then they've got on the uh, top part their slogan, I think it is the Sunshine State. And then on the uh, bottom, they've got <laughs> kind of curved, myflorida.com. Yeah, it's... You know, they can't... It, it, they aren't going to modify these these license plates without some pretty good reason to do so. And it would be interesting to find the law that mandated this change and see if you can find any clues as to what they're really up to, but... It's, it might not be anything at all, but it's just one of those things. For suspicious people like myself, we want to know about these things. Now, some some state employee had a good idea to uh, keep their job or something. And, you know, we got to be modern. We got to be modern. I put our website on there. I don't know. Uh-huh. You know, maybe they have a lot of problems in Florida with the you know drivers. They needed their website to get to. I have no idea, but I thought it was. I understand, but it's interesting. It's curious that they uh, take a look at uh, number eight on the list. Number eight. Number eight. Okay, so we're done with Microsoft here. I thought that was. Unless you've got something you want to add. Well, you got something else you want to say about? Well, I've got a. You know, I wonder about. You know, okay, so a, a lot of people don't even keep their information on their own computer anymore. They keep it on the cloud and. What if you were to, like... Uh, Where is the cloud located? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's up at the top of the Washington Monument. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's where they keep the cloud. I'm not sure. But what if you keep your files on a server 
I don't know, in Russia or somewhere else. Oh, I agree with that. But what if you keep your files on a server that's expressly located within the United States of America? That's my question. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, I think they're probably going to, they'll have to deal with it. You know, and that might be something they don't want to deal with. And that could be a way to advance that argument just one more way. I mean, yeah, you can, you know, you can get pulled over driving and you can advance that argument. You know, you can, well, any way you get in trouble, you can advance that argument, basically. But this is just one more way. And it seems to be something that they are actively, you know, they are seizing people's data and, you know, they're actually yeah, no. breaking into people's houses and putting things on their computer and all these other things. So, you know, I mean, if you made that argument, it would certainly be interesting and they would have to deal with it in, in you know, to some degree. And that would well, be you're going to prove I have stored data. And if you can make the connection, they talk about this under the stored data. They reference, uh, well, what does it say? Under the Stored Communications Act. Uh, which I'm not familiar with at all, but I haven't looked at it. But you can see it can be found, and you could dig it up and say the Stored Communications Act. Well, I do have communications, and they are stored on this computer. Now the question is, does this computer qualify as in the United States or within the state of Texas and or within the United States of America? Where is this computer located? And if it's located in these foreign countries, it doesn't prove that they can't get at you. It just says, under the Stored Communications Act. Right? They can come at you, presumably, some other way, some other direction, and you're going to have to do another dance to defeat them, but just the same. You could look at this. If you thought you were likely to be raided and have your data stolen from you, you could look at this, and it creates you know, a hurdle. Maybe it stops them. Maybe it only slows them down. Maybe it makes them laugh so hard that they can't. They can't uh, just get out of here. You know, I've never seen these things so, so funny in my life. Just, just get out. <laughs> You're in a different country. Come on. Well, you know, I hey, that's fine with me. Laugh it up. You know, yeah. as long as at the end you say get out of here. Yeah. You know, that's that's fine. I don't care. You mm -hmm. know. You can tell me it's in the interest of justice or anything else you'd like, as long as the ending is get out of here. Yeah, exactly. Happy days. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Uh, I don't always consider it a win, you know, I'll, you know, because a win is a win. A win is when you fight it out and you got, you know, hey, I could go to jail here, but I'm pleading not guilty. We're having a jury. We're going to this, and you're found not guilty. That's a win. You know, I mean, it's good not to lose. But not losing is not always a win, in my. I understand you know? that. I mean, because look, a win is when you get them to pay you for your time and pay you That's for right. violating your rights. That's, That's right. a win. That is a win. Some and of the rest of the stuff is a draw. Right. You got to win, you got to lose, and you got to draw. Yep. Okay. We seldom win. We often draw. Yep. We lose a lot. That's the truth of the matter is, but we are getting a more adept where the possibility of a Certainly a draw, which is good to us. A tie goes to the tie goes to the runner, essentially. Yep. They got to turn you loose. Well, that's yeah. No, a lot of people settle for that. But after you've been at it for a while, you sit back and say, you know, I need to see the, I need to sue these people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not content with a draw. Yeah, that's where I'm at now because yeah, like, I understand. You know, because all those years I was like, 
you know, it was at the first couple of times it was great, and it really did feel like a victory. And you feel smart, too. You really, boy, am I smart. Yeah, oh, yeah, all that, man. And I won. Uh I won. I just, Uh "Ah, yeah, I won. And then, you know, it happens again, and it's like, well, that's great. Gee, I won again. And then the third time or so, you start thinking, you know, I've just wasted a bunch of time again, and, I, you know, this is feeling less and less like a win. Uh, It's not feeling like a loss, and it's better than a loss, but it's not quite a win. You know, it's not quite a win, and, yeah. And that it's time for the next step, you know. And yep. but I think they also realize these things. And you know, a lot of the times you you end up going, "Gee, I haven't been in trouble in a long time." Well, <laughs> I haven't stopped doing anything that I always have been doing. It's just I'm Maybe not. Maybe they had a false report of your death or something. Yeah. You should call them up and say, "Hey, I'm still out here." Yeah. Yeah. You know. I'm still breathing and driving around the rest. I haven't seen you guys in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could just, use the money. Just yeah, checking. Why don't you have somebody arrest me for something stupid? Just checking to see if you're all all right. You know. Yeah. yeah. But no, you know, and they might get to the point where they think, well, you know what? We run this guy around enough. You know, one of these times he seems to be learning, and if he learns any more, uh, next thing is we're going to get sued. I think they keep this on the, I think on when you get into the NCIC computer or whatever it is, the NIC, whatever it is, I don't know, but uh, a national database, mm-hmm. yep. I think they've got code that is in the database for some few people where they just say, leave this SOB alone. And they may say, leave him alone because he thinks he's a sovereign and he probably is, or they may say... He's more trouble than he's worth. It's going to cost us $20,000 to get a $200 ticket out of this guy. That may be all it is, but I've been told by people that I believe are telling me the truth that they had access to their, uh, as a matter of fact, Dennis. Can't think of his last name right now. Oh, I remember Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he he die? Yeah, he did. He died probably four or five years ago now. And, uh, but he claimed to have, they stopped him on one occasion, and he wound up having access to the computer where he could see what was going on, and he had some some code on there that's essentially flashed, do not arrest, do not arrest, that was his claim. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I can tell you I thought at the time, I believed he was probably telling me the truth, I haven't seen it for myself, but it would be almost surprising if it wasn't true. Well, you know, if you're running a business... I mean, you know, I've done mail order, and you know, you just you, you you know, guerrilla mail out a bunch of stuff, and you get some replies and you don't, and then yeah. you send it out again, but you keep track of who replies and who doesn't. Yeah. And after three or four times of a dead end, you take them off the list. Yeah. You know, so if you're running a business, which I think they are. Yep. And you go, wow, this guy's costing us money every time he he shows his face mm-hmm. in here. You know what? Take him off the list, or put him on the list, or whatever. We don't want to see him anymore. He's he's not doing us any good. A persona non grata. You know, and you and, are as unwelcome as a card counter in Las Vegas. Yeah, we you don't know, want you in our casino. You're counting the damn cards. You know, and it's not it's not that oh boy, you know you're you know anybody's so smart or anything else. It's just that you know you're just bad for business. Yeah, that's it. You know, this is business. There's no point to dragging somebody in. Going to cost you twenty thousand dollars in attorney fees in order to collect a two hundred dollar ticket out of this guy. You know, and if I was running that business, 
I would certainly have people on there that, you know, they're not out robbing and raping and killing and murdering. They're just driving around without a license. They're not even running people over or anything. You know, I I would certainly tell them, hey, look, just just ignore them. Unless you see them really endangering somebody or something, leave them alone. Just, they're not worth it. I mean, if I was running a business, I would do that. Just because business is business. When back in the 90s, I did an analysis back around 1992. They had an article in the Dallas Times-Herald, if I recall correctly, that complained about the uninsured motorists. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't, I don't think it was required by law at that time that everyone have insurance. And they were trying to make a campaign. A lot of, most people had car insurance, but you didn't have to have it by law. Uh, and they were complaining about all the money that the uninsured motorists were costing the state. And they came up with some number, and I'm just going to, for the sake of argument, I'm going to say it was $500 million a year. All right. But if you divided the $500 million by the number of people that they alleged to be driving without insurance... It worked out to something like $25 a month in damages per uninsured motorist. And at the time, the average insured motorist was paying something like $65 a month. And the implication is that the uninsured motorists were actually considerably safer drivers than the ones that were insured. They were always afraid something was going on, so they were extra careful. Insured drivers, "Ah, they don't worry about it, I'm covered. You know, we can speed, we can crack up, we can do whatever. I can drive drunk. I'm insured. What the heck? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I I did a thing. You know, I, I did some research when I was, you know, not having a license. And I did some, you know, because I came to the conclusion that legitimately, under the Constitution of Oregon, the only legitimate, and they will even tell you that, oh, this is what, authorizes us to require driver licenses and insurance and all this other stuff, right, for yep. your automobile, is public safety. Okay, well, that is one of the police uh, the powers that the states have, public safety, you know, uh, health, welfare, and safety, and order. Those are, the, those are basically the police powers. And, yeah, okay, so the state basically can do things to protect the safety, health, and welfare of the people. But I did this little uh, research At a thing. price, of course. Well, we're, gonna, sure. we're here to help you, <laughs> and we're only going to charge you a few thousand dollars for our help. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, what I found was, and, you know, people laughed and said, oh, yeah, but that's because there's just, but it doesn't matter. The fact is, most, I mean, the vast vast majority of I mean I'm talking 99% of the car wrecks are by licensed drivers no. you know and the thing is it's like they, they come out and they go well we have a problem you know there's just too many unlicensed drivers okay so you can't then come and tell me well that's because there's so much and most everybody's got a license well you just said we have a problem with unlicensed drivers. You know, how can you now say that? But the real problem was with licensed drivers. Well, they're the dangerous ones. Yeah. You know, they're the ones that get in wrecks. And it speaks to the point that when you don't have, and I can tell you this from a, from a personal perspective, I was a much better driver 
when I didn't have insurance and a I agree. and everything. I agree. I, I, I operated uh, the last time I had a driver's license. My last driver's license <laughs> expired in 1992. All right, and I and I continued driving and driving without insurance for up until just a couple of years ago. I finally gave it up, but uh, it, it absolutely it becomes. It becomes a stressful experience. Yeah, and you're very You don't just careful. relax behind the wheel. You're constantly looking left, right, up, or down, yeah. and you're watching for every possibility. Yeah, and you're you're obeying the speed limits. Oh, yeah. The turn signals. You're doing yeah, yeah. it all, man, and mm-hmm. you are a good, safe, defensive driver. Something looks suspicious about that car. He's evading the speed. He's, excuse me, obeying the speed limit and using his turn signals properly. Pull him over and let's see what he's up to. Yeah, what? You must be having no license. There's, you're some, there's something wrong here. You're doing, guy's you're obeying the law. But then I got my driver license, and after a few years, it wore off. And yeah. now, hey, I don't care about the speed limit. I don't care about using I don't care about any of that. You know, go ahead and pull me over. I got my paperwork in order here. Write the ticket. You know, because, and I don't do anything dangerous or stupid or anything like that, but I'm just not as careful. I'm just not as obedient. Look, if I come pull up to a stop sign and there's nobody around, I'll roll through it. You know, I, why should I stop? There's nobody here. But when I didn't have a license, I don't care if there's nobody here. I'm going to stop, uh-huh. and then I'm going to go. You know, it's like, uh, you know, but little things like that. It's just you you just inherently do it because you know, yeah, go ahead, write me the ticket. Here's my paperwork. It's all in order. You're going to write a ticket. You're going to let me go, and then I'm going to go to court, and I'm going to win or not lose. Yeah, you're going to have a draw, but it, which but, means you're going to expend your time and energy and a certain amount of sweat. And they're going to say, go away, you don't have to pay us anything. See, but now I'm really truly thinking, if if the next ticket I get, I am going to pound the books about counterclaim. Yeah. And I'm going for it. And I'm going to, okay, fine, I'm writing you a ticket too. You know, part of the way to get at that counterclaim, in my opinion, is at least with penal offenses. My understanding, and I believe this to be I believe this to be accurate. You know, some opinions you have, you, you're not absolutely confident about. But a penal offense is not a crime. My reading and research indicates that a penal offense is a civil offense with attached criminal penalties. Now, you can sit back and say, if you're charged with a crime, a legitimate crime, all right, I don't think that the defendant can sue the state or whoever's prosecuting him. I think a crime is one of the things the state can do it, and it's not going to get countersued. And that might not be true. That may, there may be, they may be able to get past that. But if it's a penal offense, which is civil in nature with attached criminal penalties, it's not a real crime. It's civil, which means if someone sues me civilly, they are in my opinion, certainly open to be counterclaimed against on a civil basis. Well, and there's very few things that are actually seeming to be crimes anymore. I mean, that's exactly the definition I got from, uh, well, a judge in Central Point, Oregon. When I asked 
Yeah, well, he didn't say penal, but he gave the exact definition you did when I asked him, listen, what kind of, you know, look, I've got a right to the nature and cause, and mm -hmm. what, kind of, what kind of proceeding is this? You know, because you told me I can't have a jury, all right? Yeah. And he said, yeah, that's right. There's no juries in traffic court, in, in traffic cases. I said, yeah, all right, but the Constitution says, in Oregon anyway, it has two different sections. One says that uh, a, a jury trial is guaranteed in civil cases, and yep. it says a jury trial is guaranteed in criminal cases. And I said, okay. so you're saying I can't have a jury, so what kind of thing is this? He goes, it's a civil proceeding proceeded under the criminal rules. And that, I didn't know what else to say after that. because Pretty uh, close to what I was just talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's almost exact. And, yeah. and that would make it penal. Now, yeah. I I didn't, at the time, you know, I was still learning, and I got as far as I could go with that. And that was one of those ones that ended up dismissed. But, you know. <laughs> Start asking interesting questions, and yeah, and you don't I want to deal with interesting and questions. And I didn't even know where to go from there. Yeah, I understand. But he didn't either. What do you think was, what, if you had to think about, if you had to answer the question again, what kind of, what kind of proceeding do you think it was that you got into in that particular? Well, I think it was some kind of administrative hearing. I agree with you 100%. You know, when you say there's got to be a jury for criminal and there's got to be a jury for civil, mm -hmm. but he doesn't have to have a jury, you're not in a constitutional court. Right. And I think it presumes that you have voluntarily entered that court if you don't object to it. But I think it was an administrative proceeding. And because administration, again, if you look at the Amger Second and you look up the article on administrative law, it tells you several times in the first two pages that administrative law combines the three fundamental powers of government, executive, legislative, and judicial, they are all combined under a single authority. There's no separation of powers. I think that's consistent with, well, we're going to give you a trial, but you're not going to get a jury. I think it's administrative. I don't think it was, I don't think it was certainly not judicial. Well, I think what happened was, because I, I was really kind of at the end of my, you know, what I knew, what I thought I knew anyway. And, you know, but he, I think, I think what it comes to, because you see, if it is administrative, and if they yep. are presuming you voluntarily got in there, yep. well, okay, why, how is this administrative? And that would mean that all traffic courts are, are administrative. Well, that would be it, the implication. Well, then it has to be based on the fact that, well, listen, you got a driver license. You agreed to, to go through, it's like when you get a bank card. You agree. That may be their presumption. You agree to arbitration. Oh, it might be because the vehicle is registered. It might be because sure. the vehicle is. That may be their presumption, but here's one thing for sure. At no point when I got a driver's license or anyone else in the jury, if you can manage to have one or whoever, nobody thought that they were getting a driver's license, that they were giving up their, their God-given unalienable rights. Nobody thought we were giving up our rights as people of the state of Texas, the people of the state of Oregon. No. I didn't guarantee you to give up my rights. I was told this was just this was an identification device and proof of my competence. And it's for safety purposes. And yeah, blah, and for blah, safety blah. purposes. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But I, I did not give up my rights just because I registered my vehicle, or at least not knowingly.
No, and you didn't disclose it to me. So, you know, I mean, how can that be? That can't be. That's well, fraud. It's trust relationship, probably. Well, it's, There's no you know, requirement for full disclosure in trust relationships, so far as I know. Yeah, but fraud can exist anywhere. Oh, I get that. You know, I, I mean, get that, but it's up for up to you to scream and holler. Sure. Oh, in yeah. the proper way, you've got to say, you know, Simon says, and Mother, may I, or they're not going to pay any attention to you. They don't care if you're getting railroaded. They want you to be railroaded. <laughs> they just don't expect you to figure it out and say anything. They run the railroad. Yeah, I know. You know? I mean, of course. Chugga, chugga, yeah. chugga. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I think I I think under those presumptions they're making, I think because really I was kind of out of gas. But like yeah. I said, it got dismissed anyway. And I think what I I think we got to the point where he didn't know I was out of gas. And he's thinking, well, now, wait a minute, this guy's asking this, and I just exposed to him. I didn't tell him so much, but it's an administrative hearing. And and he's here because he doesn't have a driver license. Uh, you know, so how is he even in this administrative court when he he's, consented? he's not part of the administration? Yeah, but the presumption was there, is my guess. And... Based on that presumption, you walked in the door, you made a general appearance. You didn't contest jurisdiction by saying, hey, I don't consent to administrative process. No, I didn't. I'm one of the people, I've done this before and tried it. Nobody said yes, no, or maybe, but it was part of the defense in the case I talk about down in Austin on a regular basis, where I told them, look, uh, I'm one of the people of the state of Texas. I am entitled, uh, I am a beneficiary of the Constitution of the state of Texas, which is a trust, an express charitable trust, incidentally. I'm one of the beneficiaries, and one of the benefits under Article 2 of the Constitution of the state of Texas is division of powers, separation of powers in other places. So I want, I do not consent to administrative process where all three powers are combined together. As one of the people of the state of Texas, I want a judicial trial, which is Article 5 in the Texas Constitution. And if you want to try me, I'll be happy to meet you there in an Article 5 court. But do not take, I do not consent to administration. Well, they never said I was right. They never said I was wrong. I didn't catch them trying to snicker, but we won the case. <laughs> or at least we got a draw. <laughs> they yeah. just left us alone. Well, and that's the whole thing. You know, it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. You know, and even if, you know, and the other thing about these administrative, what I found out is that you can always, if you do that, you don't even have to go through the whole deal. I mean, just say you're Joe Blow out there, and you go, okay, here we go into, like, some city court. And they go, okay, guilty. You go, all right, I'm appealing. Well, it's not like a normal appeal. It, it's a, you start all over at the county. Trial de novo. It's like it never happened. You start all yep. over again. You know. And who makes it start? You. Yeah, that's the great thing about this from the government's perspective. They drag you into a into an administrative court at the municipal court level, in my opinion. And if you don't like the results, then you have to give the next court jurisdiction to hear the case. They don't have the authority to give that court jurisdiction, that appellate court. They can't give it. I don't think they can give it authority. They have to wait. They have to trick you and say, well, if you don't like it, you'll have to appeal. Well, when you do, you give the appellate court jurisdiction. The implication is that if you didn't appeal, they wouldn't have jurisdiction, which opens the door to what? How do you resolve this issue? You counterclaim. Yeah. 
You don't appeal. I'm not going to appeal a case. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> yep. I'm going to come after your house and your bass boat and your car because you dragged me into an administrative proceeding where I expressly refused to accept it. Yep. Now we'll see. Now let's see how the, how, how do you like me now? I'm not appealing. <laughs> yeah. I'm suing you. <laughs> yep. Well, I don't know. That's the, you know, I this this makes good sense to me. It doesn't mean it's true, but it makes sense to me. We've got an article here. I think it's number eight on your list. Yeah, for some reason, uh, number ten is a link, but this looks like a link, but it's not. It's not lighting up like a link. But I see it. Number eight Ever is not light working for you. No, judge rules administrative court system illegal after eighty-one years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I. I. And when I try to copy it, I get boxes. Little boxes instead of letters. I don't get it. I don't understand what what the deal is with it. But the other link worked. Did you cut and paste it? Yeah, and that's where I get the boxes. Did you get the whole thing? Yep. From HTTPS. Yeah, I've I've copied and pasted before, and and uh huh. You're used to. I don't think you ever. Got, I don't think you ever got the handle on that pasting. <laughs> you know, with that wheat paste and the rest of that back there. There's something weird about this. This one here. Well, let me just try it, because it came up for me. I'm going to cut and paste again. Okay. You're right. <laughs> You're right. I don't know why that's happened. Boy, I'm glad I'm recording this. Um. You're right. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. <laughs> I know Melody told me something today. She said, I want you to... <laughs> something on the radio programs. I don't remember what. She says, now I want you to interrupt me when I when I get into this. I thought, oh, my God, I have lived to hear it, you know. She wanted me to interrupt her. Yeah. Uh, I, well, this I is, like the sound of it. I wish I could look at that. I mean, <laughs> rules of administrative court system illegal? That's great. Well, I know it's great. I have, I have no idea what's going on there because I got this thing lined up on my computer just in the last day or two. And I and I clicked on it, and I haven't. I'm looking at it right now, on the URL that I've uh, that I've mentioned to you. Now, one of the things you could I don't know what to tell you, but I guess apparently I'm going to have to make sure I make a copy of this case because, of, or at least this article, because I might not find it again. Yeah. Um, it's it's at Armstrong Economics, and whether it's still there, it was posted on June 10th by Martin Armstrong, and it says judge rules administrative court system illegal after 81 years. Now, this is, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs out of this, and uh, as a matter of fact, I think I'll read two of them, as maybe we'll get into two of them. It says, well, it's been a long time coming, but all along, there have been discussions behind closed doors, never in public, that the administrative law courts established with the New Deal were totally unfounded and unconstitutional. With the anniversary of Magna Carta and the right to tr jury trial uh, coming up on June 15th after 800 years, the era of Roosevelt's big government is quietly unraveling. A federal judge, federal judge is ruling against the Securities and Exchange Commission for using its own administrative law judges in an insider trading case is perhaps the beginning of the end for an alternative system of justice that took root in the New Deal. 
constitutionally, the socialists tore everything about the idea of a democracy apart. And I don't agree with democracy. That's, that's another subject. But they tore everything about the idea of a democracy apart. It was more than taxing one party to the cheers of another in the denial of equal protection. It was about, now get this, this is where it gets, it was about creating administrative agencies, one, delegating them to create rules with the force of law as if passed by Congress, sanctioned by the people, and two, the creation of administrative courts that defeated the tripartite government structure usurping all powers into the hands of the executive branch, as if this were a dictator run by a great horde of unelected officials. Number two item here, creation of administrative courts that defeated the tripartite government structure. They mean our government is supposed to have a legislative branch and three executive equal branch, branches. Yep. Three separate branches. And equal. Yeah, well, equal in theory and powers, but separate for sure. Yep. And he's he's. This is just exactly what I've been telling people for I don't know a year or more. When we talk about this, I said, look, I'm, uh, this thing, all three powers are operating under a single authority. There's no separation of powers. And again, first time I tried this was back in 2006. I don't think I th I think that is such a strong argument. They never said good, bad, or indifferent to about it to me. But I think it's such a powerful argument that I could probably walk away from most most proceedings. I mean, somebody would have to make up their mind that we're just going to bust this guy's skull open and do whatever we think we want to do. But if there's any semblance of following the rules of reason, once you stand up and say, I'm one of the people, I'm entitled to the benefits of the Constitution, of the, of the State of the Union, one of those benefits is separation of powers that lets me out of administrative process. I don't think the existing state can function without administrative process. I don't know, for an absolute fact, how to get into a judicial court at the state level. I can get into administrative. Anybody can do that. All right. But can you get into a truly judicial Article 5 court? I don't know how. I, you know, I think there might be a way. Oh, and what it is is, is when you file is. a suit, uh -huh. when you go in to file a suit, you give it to the, you put it in the court recorder's office, and they file it for you in a in a in a filing cabinet. Right. All right. But you're actually entitled to put a cover letter on there, and tell them what you want done with the suit. There was a guy named Richard Kegley told me this years ago, 20 years ago or thereabouts, 15 anyway, yeah, 15, 20 years ago. He said they noticed that every time they filed paperwork when they were suing, and the paperwork was filed, was stamped, filed, that's what it said, they, they bam, hit it with that, hit it with right, that right. stamp, and it would say filed, then you fill in the date or whatever. They lost. But every time they brought the paperwork in, and it was stamped, received, not filed, received, they won. And he didn't understand why that was happening, but I think maybe when you bring that stuff in and it's filed with the court reporter or the court recorder, I think all they do, they just file it. It's equivalent to saying we filed it over in uh, Frank Stephan's filing cabinet. Yeah, it's filed. It's in Frank's, or maybe it was filed in Al's filing cabinet. Or the court is just doing what the uh, 
the county recorder does. I think the county recorder is, I think the court will do with the county recorder, whatever they determine from this. But I think that county recorder is doing what you tell him to do. And I'm thinking that if I were to walk in the door with a suit or a counterclaim, and I said, I want to file this. Well, this is complicated with a counterclaim. I don't know if I can file it in a counterclaim into a different court than the one I'm being sued in. So if I'm being sued in administrative court, I either duck out of it and tell them I'm one of the people and you get I don't accept administrative process. Or if I'm going to counterclaim, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can counterclaim against a suit that was started in administrative court and counterclaim in a judicial court. But in broad strokes, here's my theory du jour. You walk into the county recorder's office, you've got the paperwork for your lawsuit, and you have a cover letter. Maybe you've even maybe you've even sent it by means of registered mail, and you have a cover letter that instructs the court clerk to please receive this into whichever Article Five court that is a judicial court is available. The first judicial court available to hear this case. I think it's up to you to instruct that county clerk on where you want this case to be heard. And if you don't do it, they're going to presume, well, he must want to go into administration, so we'll just file it. We're not or we, it or we don't know what he wants, so we're just going to do what we oh, want. Oh, that may be too. You know, we're just but, going to do what we want. And the other point about it, I think what this means is they just file stamp it filed rather than received. I think that when it's received, it's actually received into evidence. I think it's filed. It just means, oh, we stored it out there in the barn. We got, we got, we got 100,000 of these cases out there in the barn. I think this one's over in the northeast corner someplace. You know, look around over there. Maybe you can. I'm pretty sure we filed it back there. <laughs> Filing, I don't think that. I, I suspect that it doesn't carry legal authority. Yeah, it's been filed. So what? I'm not sure that it's been introduced yet into evidence. But I think maybe if you can. I want this introduced into evidence in the first judicial court available under Article 5 of the Constitution of the State of Texas. Would it work? I don't know, but I'm willing to try it. You know what? It's another one of those things that what harm can it do? Yeah, that's, what I, that's, that's exactly right. What are they going to do? I mean, it puts them in a situation where if I, <laughs> if I have expressly asked for a judicial court under Article 5 of the Texas Constitution, <laughs> what are they going to do? Say, sorry, Charlie, we haven't had the Article 5 courts here since the New Deal. Yeah. Can they admit that in public? I don't think so. I don't I think, think so I either. Want to, that's for sure. This is a rock and hard place situation. <laughs> uh, somebody might come call and say, you know, we'd like to work this out. Let's let's see if we can settle this out of court. And yeah. maybe you can. Huh? Well, uh, again, you know, the, things like this, you know, it's like, well, okay, that, maybe that won't work. Maybe it will work. But it it's probably not going to do you any harm. Yeah, I understand. And... You got something else to now? Okay, so I'm standing there now, and I'm going. Well, okay, is this an Article Five court? No. Well, wait a minute. I didn't file to come here. Yeah. You know what? What's going on? Are you just disregarding what or or what? You know, it, you can push them to where, because I'm pretty sure they don't want to tell anybody. We don't have any of those. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't think they do. Why do you think they? Why do you think they don't have them? 
Oh, because I think they're they're considered bankrupt and and they're just out of business you, with the rest of the state stuff. I bet you that the judicial courts have to run on gold or silver. Yeah, at the state level. Well, Article One, Section Ten, Clause One says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debts. That's right. At the states of the union, where the judicial where the judicial tribunals exist at the state level. I think if there's a filing fee, I think it's got to be paid in gold or silver. I think that if they have to pay, if they say, I'm ordering you to pay $1,000 a day, hey, $1,000 may not sound like much to a lot of people, but in a judicial court, I think $1,000 a day, and you can find federal laws that will back you up for $1,000 a day, doesn't sound like much today. That's 1,000 ounces of silver. Mm-hmm. Huh? You got a couple of days where you get a thousand ounces of silver that's worth twenty one, twenty two dollars an ounce. That's not a bad deal. You're taking in as close to the twenty five thousand Federal Reserve notes you can get right now for or false imprisonment. Only I don't want Federal Reserve notes. <laughs> I, 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 I'm in, I'm within the borders of the state of Texas. You understand? Yeah. And you or can't you know, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. So. Well, yeah, and that'd be the thing. It's like, well, look, uh, wait a minute. How can you possibly give me this? Can you explain how you can give me this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, well, the government, the federal government, declared that to be legal tender. Well, yeah. yeah, but... Yeah, that's true, but legal tender where? Yeah, because the... Congress, it's not legal tender within the states of the Union. Yeah, because the, uh, you know, the Congress can't just... Oh well, we've decided to secretly repeal parts of the Constitution. They don't get no. They can't. They can't. They can't. They can't amend the Constitution unilaterally. That's why they have. What is it? Article seven or Article five? I don't remember. Uh, There's. uh, I think it's Article five. Yeah, the Congress, whenever two thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or two thirds of the. of the, I can't read it, the the several states shall call a convention, and yada, yada. They provide, Article 5 provides the means to amend the Constitution, and it doesn't include Congress acting on its own, and we'll just pass the law here. They can't amend the Constitution, but they can write laws with unlimited powers within the territories, the districts like Washington, D.C., maybe the Northern District of Texas, Probably the Northern District of Texas, and the and the states of the United States, rather than the states of the Union. They can't do it in the states of the Union. If you bring this up and you you grasp this concept, you're gonna say, "Well, where the hell do you people think we are? You think we're in some kind? Of, you don't think we're in some sort of a territory, do you, Your Honorableness?" Yeah. Do huh? you? <laughs> Come on, tell me, because more than likely. Their attempt to subject the people of this, of the states of the union, to this administrative law, and what I believe are these territorial states, these administrative districts, states of the United States, I think it's treason. I think every bit of it is treason. You look under Article 3, Constitution, and it defines treason. And it says uh, treason against the United States. Uh, shall consist only in levying war against them, which means them refers to the United States, and that means the United States is several, plural, 
States of the Union, or in adhering uh, to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. If you're going to strip us of our God-given unalienable rights, that's giving the enemies of the people of the United States of America, the people of the several states, it's giving, it's, it's giving their enemies aid and comfort. This whole administrative thing is treasonous. Well, if you can, you know, if we're correct, United, if if the State of the Union is not a state of the United States, if these are two different places, two different venues, two different jurisdictions, the guys that are enforcing that are committing treason if they force you in. Now, I'm guessing that this whole thing started under the pretext of the emergency back in 1933 when they took the gold out of circulation. They declared there was an emergency. Under an emergency, the laws are in a state of suspension. Yeah, says them. That's not in the Constitution. Oh, I understand that. That's, <laughs> part of, that's one of their little deals. They, oh, <laughs> see, if we said, well, the Constitution says, yeah, the government can't do these things, but they didn't mean us. Right. They, yeah. they mean another guy. They mean bad guys. We good guys in government, we can do whatever we want. Now, what get, now the Constitution specifically, and the federal government has even said, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Arizona, you can't write laws about immigration because the Constitution mm-hmm. gives us that power. Okay. Yep. Then mm-hmm. Obama turns around and directs the Immigration Service to not enforce the laws. Yeah. Now, is that not treason? Are we not I'd... being invaded? Yeah, they're not protecting us. And, in and, fact, they're working to destroy the United States of America because you can't combine the United States of America with Mexico and with Canada without destroying the United States of America. Well, sure. And and the thing is, though, aren't invaders considered enemies? Isn't disregarding the law to let your enemies enter your country, mm-hmm. isn't that giving them aid and comfort? Yes, well, that's the definition of treason. Yeah, no. I gotta wonder, and I was asking this of because everybody was all about how great Jan Brewer was, right? Oh, she stood up to Obama. Oh, she's you know real firebrand. Oh, real, real for the people, sort of. Well, why didn't Jan Brewer, as the governor of the state, file treason? And tell us which state we're talking about. Is this Oregon? No, this is Arizona. Arizona, okay. You know, why Why didn't she, as governor of the state of Arizona, file treason charges against Obama? I don't know so if she great. made the connection, and if she did, it's the sort of thing that could probably get you killed if you didn't know what you were doing, and maybe even if you did. Well, I, mean, I think the probably last thing... get you killed if you knew what you were doing, because <laughs> if you didn't know what you were doing, they could just, you know, get rid of you, you know, easily, make you look like an idiot, and, you know. <laughs> but if you knew what you were doing... That's when they'd have to really get rid of you. Because if you know what you're doing, that means part of knowing what you're doing is being able to explain to other people what you're doing. Oh, not only that. If they can see what you're doing, we have a certain amount of monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) What he said. You know, know, what he said. Uh, They're going to let you go easily on that, but other people, they see you win. And they're going to say, holy cow. Yeah, hey, wait a minute. Maybe these guys aren't crazy after all. I was sure they were crazy. <laughs> now, you know, now I'm not. Yeah. I but I, you know, there's things like, and, and what, 
treason takes two people to witness it, right? I don't recall right off the... I, I think that's correct. I know it's right there in Article 3, but I... Well, I know one thing. It's less than, like, 100 million people, right? You know, so 100 million people have witnessed Obama with his directing agencies to disregard the law. Uh-huh. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not understanding why nobody has not, you know, nobody has filed a treason charge against this guy. You know, it's almost spectacular, amazing. It really is. How is it this country has held together for any length of time when virtually nobody, nobody, seems to really understand much of the law? I mean, even the lawyers don't get what we're talking about here. Well, part of the lawyers, that any lawyer that I've ever had the misfortune of having much of a conversation with, and that doesn't mean they're not nice guys or, you know, good family people or whatever. Maybe they are, but talking to them about the law is is an exercise in futility most of the time because they always seem to revolve back around to, well, you don't understand. That's not the way it's done. That's not the way they do it. Blah, 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 blah. It has not, they don't even, they don't even, they call themselves lawyers, but they're not. They don't know anything about the law, neither do the judges, neither do the clerks. They don't pay any attention to it. They just do what they do. I was, I. I don't know, it's just, they're just, they do a little dance, give us a little ipso facto, and he pluribus unum, and everybody says, oh, he must be the wizard. I had, he really knows this stuff. I had a federal clerk down in the Medford uh, federal District Court. You know, they. Uh, I was in this case, and, you know, they have time things. You, They file something, then you got 20 days, then you file something, then they got this amount of time, and these are the rules. Well, I filed something, and they filed something, and there was a ruling like the next day, and I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I've got 20 days to respond to this. You can't just uh, rule on this. And I walked into that office with not only the general rules of, you know, the the federal courts, but also the local rules, which apply to whatever district you're in. They've all got their own little variations. But And I had them highlighted in the whole nine yards. And here's the rule. Look here. He looked at both of them and said, well, that's just the way we do it. Yeah. And that's his answer. This yeah. is the clerk of the court. Yeah. You know, and, this, and it works. Well, yeah, it does work. And you know, and this is why why my case kind of ended up where it was it was it ended up I okay, I didn't win. It was one of those draw things, but it was kind of a little better than a draw for me because I learned an awful lot in 2 years uh you know, going back and forth in this court with these lawyers, uh, and there was like seven of them from two different law firms, and uh, I learned a really, a really lot. And uh, they they spent a lot of money defending this. I mean, they flew guys in from Indiana, the whole nine yards. They spent a pile of money on this, and uh, you know, when when you get a summary judgment against you, if you just let it go and don't go any further, they can they can file for costs which was going to be a lot so i i made a deal and said look i'll tell you what i um i won't appeal you don't go for any costs and they took that deal because 
I had a stack of appealable points. Yeah. Because, see, I started looking and going, what the heck is going on here? How can you walk in here with the rules on your side and have some clown tell you, oh, well, it's just not the way we do things. You ruse, get out. You know, I mean, how, how can you, t- what kind of place is this? Then I started learning that, oh, I see, they don't care. They're going to just ramrod you through, and, and they're going to do what they want to do because 90% of the people do not appeal. And then I learned, okay, how do you appeal? Okay, this is what you do. And I go, wow, I've got a bunch of appealable points because they're not following any rules. And see, those are appealable points. When they disregard rules, yep. that's what those rules are there for, not for them to disregard they're there to protect justice, and if they're disregarding them, you're not getting justice, and that's an appealable point. And I had a stack of them, and they knew it. And the thing was, he told me after it was all settled, you know, done, no more conflict of interest or anything like that, right? You know, it's over. And he ended up telling me that, look, you know, yeah, we, you know, you were actually, at the beginning of this thing, your paperwork was a mess, you know, but, and don't be afraid, folks, because you do have an opportunity to repair mistakes. Yep. If you can learn, if you can learn from those mistakes, you can repair them. Of course, it drags your case on and it makes everything last longer. It'd be a lot better if you just knew everything right off the bat and did it right in the first place. But if you, if you don't, you can repair it. And... You know, he said, man, you know, over two years, your paperwork got a lot tighter. And he said, if you'd have walked in the way you walked out, we would have had real trouble. Yeah. And that's fortunate. They didn't want to go to, they didn't want to go to appeal. Because the appeals court's going to look at, I must have had 25 different. And they weren't little gripes about, oh, I didn't like the way he looked at me and I didn't feel like he treated me right. These were, every last one of them were specific. Okay, look, rule, blah, blah, blah. Here it is. Here's the violation. Here's how it negatively affected me. And that's another thing you've got to do an appeal to. It's not enough just to say, okay, listen, uh, he broke the rules, and, uh, you know, that wasn't good for me. You've got to show how it wasn't good for you. Because yeah. in an appeal, they'll go, well, yeah, he broke the rules, but it really didn't affect the case. And that's how they blow by a lot of it. So you have to show, no, here's what he did, here's what he did wrong, and here is how it negatively affected my case. And you know what? You can embellish that a little bit. You know, make it worth, you know, it's like, oh, somebody bumps your bumper. Oh, my gosh, I can't move. I can't feel my legs. I think I got whiplash. Would you be, would, would the whiplash go away if we gave you a check for 25 grand? Yes, I right think, now I think it would feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's hard to say for sure, but I think I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I think I could get through it. Yeah, uh, you know that kind of thing. You know, because the court can always say, "Oh, you know, I think this is BS." Okay, then let's get on to the next twenty-two. You know, uh, appealable points, right? You know, and they didn't. I want understand. That. You know, they didn't want that, folks. So if you're going to embark on a a court case, start from the beginning. You know, I wasted a lot of time because I just didn't know any better. But start from the very beginning, keeping a close eye on the rules and what yes. they do. And and make make notes of it. They broke this rule on this time. And 
keep a track of it. And by the time you're done, you're going to have a bigger list than you thought you would. Because mm-hmm. they don't follow the rules. Yeah, they get it passed. Why don't they follow the rules? Because nobody's making them. No, that's right. Nobody reads them. They're one guy in a thousand. The only thing they have to worry about is if they stop somebody who might be an attorney. Or maybe a congressman or something like that. They might know something about the law, so they'll give them a pass. Give them a warning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if, you know, when I was bumping heads down there with the Attorney General of Texas, there was a point when we met with Judge John K. Dietz, who was the chief administrative judge for Travis County down there, and the attorney who was representing the state in this matter, uh, Raul Gar- Raul, what? Maybe Garcia. I can't remember his last name anymore. Gonzalez Garcia. I don't recall clearly anymore. But in any case, he was so pissed. He said, "This guy Adams has been clogging the damn court up with all his paperwork." I didn't make any paperwork except in response to what he sent me. And he had something like three, four filing cabinets. This case had been going on for six years when I got into this, and I had no problem with the previous uh, three, four filing cabinets full of paperwork. He showed it to us when we first got involved in this thing. Uh, He didn't have any problem with that. He was upset that I was writing too much paperwork and clogging up. What was really happening is I wasn't writing boilerplate. The way this system works is the defense lawyers essentially have a bunch of boilerplate, and if somebody is being charged with rape, they pull out boilerplate number 103R to deal with rape, and they just fill in his name and address. And in general terms, it's not exactly true, but in general terms, they use that boilerplate as a guide, mm-hmm. and they fill out a complaint or the, for the defense, and the prosecution's got the same thing for boilerplate prosecution. They run into somebody like you or me who actually starts looking at this from a direction that no attorney would dare use. You put them in a position where they actually have to do some thinking. They can't just actually turn on the boilerplate and just spit this stuff out. I'll spit out a boilerplate number one, then the opposing attorney spits out his boilerplate number one A, then I come back with two, he comes back with two A, and we go back until one of the clients, if it's civil, when one of them runs out of money, then the case comes to an end. There's a settlement, and uh, maybe, or maybe there's no settlement at all, but it just goes bouncing back, and all you have to do is hit A1, A2, A3. That's all. That's all you need to know. The sequence of code on your boilerplate. Now, wait a minute. You're giving... And you run into somebody like you who's given them 25 different reasons to object to procedure. Uh, they have to actually sit down and say, holy crap, we've got to read that. I've read this stuff since I went to law school. They have to read it. They have to think about it. And it takes time that they could be spend that they could spend more gainfully hustling other people out of their dollars on A one, A two, A three, A four. And not only do they gotta read it all, then they've gotta come up with an answer to it. Yeah, I know. Which a lot of it is stuff they probably never heard. These guys they don't man, remember. Yeah, you know, I don't think they learned much in. I think they learned mostly procedure in law school. I, I honestly, maybe some. Oh, they may have learned some. They, they may have. I don't doubt they've learned other things in law school, but that was then, and this is now. 
And now is you got a stack of 50 cases on your desk that you've got to handle. And the way you get those things done is administratively. You con the client if you're a defense attorney, they're threatening him with whatever, first-degree murder. You con the client, oh, my God, this is serious. You're going to have to give me at least 50 grand, all right, to represent you in this matter. <laughs> and as soon as you can manage to dig up 50 grand, then he goes, A1. And he sends a letter to the prosecutor or an answer to the prosecutor, A1. The prosecutor sends him some boilerplate. He bounces him. And it's always about impressing the client, trying to scare, and finally get him to the point where, listen, I got the the prosecutor where I want him. He's agreed to settle for murder, too. Yeah. You don't have to worry about going away for the rest of your life or the gas chamber. You'll only get murder, too. You should be out in 15 years. Such a deal. Now, I think I can get this done right now if, you're, if you'll agree to it. And the like average guy is out of rope. Huh? For 20 grand more. Yeah, it may cost a little extra because <laughs> I'm going to have to drive across it's town. Such a great deal. Yeah, such a, but that's the deal. And you're giving. And you've you got to get that defendant to consent to this. I didn't they realize. They have to consent to this. I didn't realize you were so, so kind to, to attorneys because you're really giving them a lot more credit than I think they're due because. You're actually saying the lawyer hits A1. No, 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 no. They oh, have, yeah, these, I get they have legal just, secretaries I, to hit A1 for them. Okay. Paralegals, <laughs> homeless that. people. Yeah. They got somebody that they can pay five bucks an hour to hit hit A1, William. Yeah, they don't I, do that. They don't I, do that themselves. That would be below them. I understand. What their fundamental job is is to recruit business. Yeah, and bamboozle uh, the, uh, the, you know, hustle the, the, the client. Tell people how serious this is, and oh my God, you know, it's going to cost a fortune to handle this. No, it's not. It's going to cost printing for the most part. And it's not entirely true. The details, the individual cases vary, and somebody's got to type them in. But the fundamental structure is there as boilerplate. All right? And they don't usually have to do, sometimes they do, but usually they don't have to do much in the line of research. <laughs> it's yeah. just. You know, blah, 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 do the, do the dance. Uh, you know, okay, one thing that I learned from, uh, that I'll pass on to the uh, listeners that, you know, it's, it, it, it's related to the topic, but if you do end up ever hiring an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain rights you have and duties he has to perform, and one of them is when you get the bill, it's got to be an itemized bill. Uh-huh. And another thing is, he cannot charge you lawyer fees for tasks done by non-lawyers. Okay. Like, okay, well, gee, that's going to be, uh, let's see, I'm a lawyer, I get $200 an hour. I have, 200 Okay, I get $1,000 Where you hour. live? <laughs> I get $1,000 an hour, and I had to hit A1, and that took me 15 minutes because they, they, they're allowed to bill in 15-minute increments. Yeah, I know. And and so the thing is, so it took me 15 minutes. That'll be, you know, $300 or whatever. Well, okay, if he pushed A1, yeah. But if the legal secretary pushed A1, no. Now you got to pay legal secretary fees for that 15 minutes rather yeah. than his. You know, and that can end up a lot of money because they don't hmm. do very much of your case. But most lawyers, they, they charge you these attorneys, you know, fees. I understand. When they're not you know, <laughs> really attorneys doing the work. 
I can remember back in the 1990s, early 1990s, I was publishing the Anti-Shyster News Magazine, and we got hold of a tape, audio tape, from one of the continuing legal education credit meetings that they held for the members of the bar. And there was some lawyer up there telling them, no, you don't want to charge too much, but you don't want to charge too little. In other words, if everybody else is getting 30%, don't rock the boat by charging, say, 20%. Because that's bad competition for the rest of the lawyers. Well, back then, it was standard, pretty much, at least here in Texas, 30%. The attorney got 30% of whatever was recovered in a civil suit. All right, and he might get some other costs on top of that, but 30% basically was a way it went. Right now, it's at least 50. I've heard of attorneys that are charging 70%. That's a racket. Man, I mean, there isn't any question about it. You get tangled up in an automobile accident, it breaks your neck and, uh, and fractures your leg in seven places, and the attorney's going to get 40, he's going to get, in some instances, 70% of whatever you recover. You went through all the pain. I mean, this thing, it's, it's just become an unbearable. Back then, they were warning, don't go too high or we'll get people upset with us. Don't go too low. It's bad for competition. Yeah, well, back then, it was also when somebody charged you 20% interest, they were considered a loan shark. You know, now they're a bank. Yeah, I understand. You know, so things have changed. A credit card company. You know, things have changed. I understand, but you get my point. And it oh, is yeah. Well, you know, and These are a bunch of racketeers. And, and, and know, I'm not saying all lawyers are like that, but a bunch of them are. And you they know, can't. And, and back then when there was somebody up there actually telling them, now look, don't charge too much. Well, why? Because why? Because people will go buy a book mm-hmm. and they'll learn how to do it themselves if you start yeah. stabbing them too hard. I mean, yeah. I, and I'm curious, you know, what the heck, 70%? Go buy a book. You know, I mean, you know, really. Speaking of 70%, and this is part of the problem. This is a big part of the problem. There was a study out, and this goes back in the 1990s also. I remember this from probably around 97 or thereabouts, 1997. But there was a study by the State Bar of Texas which calculated that about 70% of the people in Texas could not afford to hire an attorney. That means they have no access to justice. If somebody's tree falls down on your garage and crushes your garage and your house and you don't have the money to hire an attorney, you got two choices. You just you either live with it or you get yourself a gun and go shoot the SOB. It's no surprise that poor people are forced to either accept injustice or commit injustice because they have no civil opportunity. They can't afford to hire the attorneys. 70%. What does it mean? It means what this country needs are more lawyers, which a lot of people would be surprised. Say, Alfred, did Alfred Adams say we need more lawyers? Yeah. If we had more lawyers, we'd have more competition, and the price of legal services would fall. And there's no reason why somebody like Frank can't go out and charge 50 bucks an hour to help people out with traffic tickets, for example, or whatever. Might not be getting a thousand dollars an hour, but he could get fifty bucks an hour, and maybe he could get more than that. And if he said, "Look, here's what I've done, and here's how many I've won, and here's how many I've been in, and here's how many I lost," 
There are some people who would be okay. I'll hire some. I might be willing to hire some guy for 25 bucks an hour. Yeah, he's not a lawyer, but he's been to court a few times. He knows more than me, and I can afford him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, I'd eat a lot I'd eat a lot better food if I could afford it. Huh? You know, I mean it's that's either the a lot thing. better or a lot more. Better. Better. Okay. Yeah, I eat plenty already, but I mean I'd eat I'd eat better. You know, everything be organic, everything would be grass fed, everything would be the best. But, you know, I I can't afford that. Just like, hey, oh, yeah, I'd like to get a, well, he's, I think he's dead now, but, you know, a good lawyer. Well, a competent attorney, put it that way. And, you know, but if you can't afford one, what now? What happens to people like that? Okay, well, there you are. We're not talking about a handful. 70%, according to the state bar, and this was 20 years ago or more, 70% of the people couldn't afford to hire an attorney. The only way you get an attorney now is if you sue someone who is either insured and they have, therefore, deep pockets, or they are wealthy, and they have deep pockets. Yeah, right? and then you go get an attorney, he's going to take 70% of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, or he's going to be just bamboozled. You find an attorney who's willing to take the case, but he's going up against somebody like Monsanto, who's going to put 20 attorneys on the case to stop you. You know, one of the laws we should have in this country is that neither side can spend more on a lawsuit than, say, double what the other side spent. If I spend $1,000 on the case, you get to spend 2000 If I spend $100,000 on my defense, you get to spend 200000 But there should be an equality in terms of how much can be invested in the case. Well, and I, under those circumstances, you might begin to see something like justice in this country. Well, I think, that's a, I think that is fundamentally a good idea, and we see how how wrong this has gone when forget the private things just look at like a, a criminal or a penal thing where okay you're arrested they you know we think it's a crime maybe it's penal maybe it, you know whatever but you know you're going to go to jail yeah. and and so uh you don't have any money so you go get a public defender uh-huh. well the public defender is paid maybe a third of what the prosecutor's paid the public defender's office is budget is maybe a third, more likely a quarter of what the prosecutor's budget is. You know, you see how this is not fair? You know, I mean, these, yeah, no. you know, these people are... It's, it's, and even, even if the guy is competent and well-meaning, and he may well be, how many cases does he have to handle? Yeah. He's got so many cases to handle. Public defender... Working for nothing, basically. He'll be overwhelmed by all those damn cases. Well, sure, because... He's got no choice other than try to settle them as fast as they come in the door. Sure, because the budget of the office is a third or a quarter of what the prosecutor's office's budget is. They can't afford to even hire bad lawyers. You know, they've got three or four bad lawyers because they were at the bottom of their class and they couldn't get a job anywhere else, so they're working for some podunk public defender's office somewhere. Yeah, I understand that. You know, and, and, and then you got this high-dollar, you know, recruited prosecutor that comes in. You know, I, I mean, and yeah, you know, the DA is elected. But the DA doesn't try any cases usually. 
Unless there's going to be TV involved, then, you know, mm-hmm. then he gets up there and, oh, well, I'm the district attorney, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't try any cases day to day. He's got a whole staff to do this for him. And they are not elected. Okay, these are recruited. And they are paid high dollar to come work for the prosecution. This is why most of the judges you see all have a history of being prosecutors. Prosecutor, prosecutor, prosecutor. You know, for every five prosecutors, there's one, oh, he was a defense attorney. Yeah. Oh, I would be very much surprised. One in five? You don't think it's that that many even? I don't think it's one in five. I might be wrong, but I, I would be surprised. You know, defense attorneys, they almost never win a case. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's because all the judges used to be prosecutors. <laughs> Well, that's part of the reason, and the other reason is partly is that, generally speaking, most of the people get charged are guilty anyway, and the other reason is most of the people who get charged criminally are too poor to hire a competent attorney and know what they're doing, but the attorneys, there's something like 98% of the people that are charged with a crime are convicted, yeah. although most of those are convicted based on plea bargains. Yep. Nobody goes to court. Nobody actually has to study the case and read the law books and rest that sort of thing. All they got to do is a great sales pitch, get somebody to give you fifty grand, fool around, drag it out, let them sit in the slammer for the next ninety, hundred and eighty days while you, uh, you know, go out for dinner and play, you play golf or whatever, and then you finally tell them, hey, I think I, I, I got these guys to go for a deal. We can get you out in twenty years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 you know, happy days. Yeah, it's it, it it's a racket, and yeah. and people. I think are starting, you know, people, a lot of this stuff with the cops, you know, uh, because it's not just black people. Yeah, I know. Everybody's getting tired of the cops shooting everybody. Everybody's getting tired of the Nazi helmets and the MRAPs and the automatic machine guns and this whole, uh, oh, gee, the Army's here to uh, serve a warrant, right? You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's getting tired of that crap. And part of it is... You know, not just the police. Okay, so then you end up in court, and you got another racket going on there. People are starting, as they meet their government, they're starting to realize these guys are a bunch of crooks. You know, and they're Well, they're certainly not constitutional. They are functioning as a dictatorship, essentially an administrative dictatorship. They're not giving you three branches of government. Why do you suppose government, the Constitution, mandated three branches of government? Well, they, they were hoping for checks and balances. Yeah, that's part of it. But one of the things about it, I suspect, is that in order to claim real sovereignty, I think you've got to have all three powers. I agree. And I mean, the way it was set up is the executive goes out and says, Frank, caught you driving without a uh, driver's license. We're going to have to haul you in. Where? Um, uh, why do you have to haul me in? Well, because the judicial branch, they passed this odd little law here said, anybody driving without a license, okay, we've heard... The law coming from Congress, we've heard the conduct that you've allegedly committed coming from the executive branch, now we're going to the judicial branch to find out if these pieces have been properly assembled and put together. My point is that when there are three separate branches, none of them can claim to be sovereigns, in my opinion. When you combine all three fundamental powers of government under a single authority, I think you're dealing with a sovereign in the same sense you deal with a a tyrant, a dictator. I think that's what it comes down to. You're just going to, I mean, the cops are part of the same racket as the courts. 
Well, they are. It's not like they're separate entities or something. The judicial branch is separate from the police. Not no, anymore. it's not. Not anymore. They're running the same racket. They're all in it for the same retirement fund and whatever else. Well, and if you and if you look at it, and I learned this here in Medford years ago. Well, I used to hang out down at the courthouse and and, and at the county. Uh, they call it the county courthouse, which is not the courthouse. It's where the commissioners meet and where they do business and the clerks at and all this stuff. And, you know, I used to hang out down there, like, for, you know, most of the day. And I talked to a lot of people, and I learned a lot of stuff about how things actually operate rather than, you know, because I read all these books, spend time in the law library, and then go out and go, wow, things don't seem to be running the way these books all said. <laughs> so you start talking to people and finding out, nah, this is how we really do it, right? Well, one of the reasons why... Cops, the courts seem to go easy on cops, okay? They they never hold them accountable, it seems. And the reason I was told is because, well, the, the court depends on the police. They are the investigators for the district attorney. Yeah, he has an investigator on his payroll, but he also has a lot of cases, and that that investigator can't investigate all of them. So they rely on police investigations. And the thing is, the police cooperate with them. Uh-huh. And they cooperate with them because they, they cut them slack. If they stopped cutting them slack, the police would stop cooperating and tell yep. them, do your own investigating. You got my one-page report, you know, that form, height, weight, you know, the one little three lines, what he did. That's it. That's all you get. And if that's all you get, you're not convicting many people on that. They need, I understand. They need the police to cooperate with them. Oh, they need, they can, the police can count on cooperation from the courts not to be... Well, not to be prosecuted I, when they is, violate the yeah, law. This is Everybody, why. and the cops and the judges are the same thing. They can count on the cops. They're not going to arrest the judge. He can get involved in criminal activity, and with a little luck, he can BS his way out of it. That's right. Prosecutor, now, the whole thing is a criminal enterprise, and it's like trying to get Don Corleone to agree to charge one of his sons with a crime. But you see, it's not one of his sons. It's not supposed to be one of his sons because we're I supposed know, but... to have that separation of branches. And, you know, the, the cops are not supposed to be cooperating with the judges, and the judges aren't supposed to be cutting the cops any any slack. They're in different That's right. branches. That's right. And, and see, we've got this, even if it, you know, even if it, but if they have really just threw that in the can and are operating an administrative deal, which yep. I believe they are, and I think you do too. Oh, yeah. Well, then it's all copacetic. They're all on the same team. Yeah, I know. They're all part of the same outfit. That's exactly what they tell you about administrative law. All three fundamental powers of government, meaning all three branches of government, are operating under a single entity. They tell you in that article, again, in uh, American Jurisprudence, second edition, the, the article on administrative law, they tell you they refer to administrative law repeatedly as the fourth branch of government. Yeah, well, yeah. There's no proviso for a fourth branch of government in the Constitution, and yet that's what they say. Oh, it's the fourth branch of government. You think they're referring euphemistically. 
No, they're not. They're telling you they function as a single branch of government all by themselves. And in my opinion, it's under Article 4, Section 3, Clause 2 of the Constitution. Somebody may have another explanation, but I think that's probably how it runs. Yeah, they're the fourth branch of government within the territories, within the districts. Well, and that might be the fourth branch of government, is the administration of the territories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it is constitutional if you're in a territory or a state of the United States or some administrative district. And that's where you're presumed to be, based on what? Your actions? Mm, Your your cash. What's what's in your wallet? (laughs) What's in your wallet? Huh? If you're dealing in Federal Reserve notes, Constitution says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. If you're not dealing in gold and silver coin and you are dealing in Federal Reserve notes, those Federal Reserve notes, I don't think they're legal within the states of the Union. If you're dealing with them, I think it's evidence that you have voluntarily walked into this emergency jurisdiction they set up in order to deal with the fact that the government went bankrupt back in 1933. Well, presumptive evidence, perhaps. Yeah, presumptive. Because presumptive. I think you can also defend But who's going to argue it? Well, who, how many people are out there who don't think what I just said is crazy? Well, that's true. A lot of people uh, do, they don't understand. And they might be right. And they might be right. That's the, bad, that's the sad thing about well, it. Well, you see, you being crazy has no bearing on whether you're right or not, see. Well, that's that's another, huh. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you're right. You, I could be crazy and right. Yeah. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be a mess? <laughs> you know, but the thing is, you know, you can easily, you know, and, and other people, I, as a matter of fact, just the other day, I, maybe five days ago, I got this email and I'm reading it, and somebody, you know, I'm sure they mean well and all, but I don't see what, you know, they send this thing and go, okay, you know, you want to be a free man in America, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole, here's what you have to do. Get okay. yourself an outfit and be a free man, too. Huh? Yeah, you know, but they got, no, They if only it was that easy. They got a list, right? And they tell you, this is what you need to get rid of. And this is a long list. Yeah. Probably got 30 things on it. Yep. And when you get through the list, you know, I'm I, by the time I got, like, three-quarters of the way through it, I was kind of chuckling. Cause I'm Do you thinking, have to give up your library card? Everything, man. No uh-huh. no library card, no nothing, man. And and no job, no this, no that. No, I mean, really, it gets, it, it, it bordered on ridiculous in, in a reality. It's like, okay, so in order to be a free man, according to some people, you basically have to go to a cave and lay there until you die free. Take a vow of poverty. Uh, because you won't have any, you can't use any Federal Reserve notes. You can't have any, you know, it goes on and on and on, right? I mean, yeah, I you can't that. have anything. And so it's like, and that's freedom? No, that's not freedom, see. No, that's oppression. You know, they, they try to catch you from a hundred different angles. You know, that's not I don't know that there are 30 of these things that you have to deal with, but there are a number of them that oh, you have God, to deal I'm with. Oh, God, I'm sure you can. Opinion. And well, they're not easily dealt with. Well, they're not pleasant. The thing is, I... You know what? I think they all need to be dealt with. But I don't think they necessarily... Okay, for instance, like the Federal Reserve notes. Oh, what's that you have in your pocket? Well, it's a Federal Reserve note. Well, there you go. No, there you don't go. I'm using this under duress because there is nothing else to use, and this is what you you making me use. I don't want to. I'm not the State of the Union anyway. I can use sticks and stones if I want to use sticks and stones to trade. 
Well, the State of the Union, the (laughs) state includes the people, I think. It's not just a geographical situation. I don't think so. It includes the people. I don't think so. I think it says so in the case of white versus the United States or something, and after the Civil War. Well, then that would make... case, white versus Texas, white versus the United States. If that interpretation was to be true, then barter would be unconstitutional among people. I'm sorry, you have to use gold and silver. You cannot trade wheat for grain, uh, for corn. No, I don't think that's quite the way it is. I think you can use other things voluntarily, but I understand what you're saying. You might be right. Well, but it, they, they can't, when it says the state can't make anything, it, uh, it means the state government. It means right. the government of the state. Because if means I, the hey, state is handcuffed, they have to use gold and I silver. If I say, hey, Al, you know... Uh, Gosh, you got a nice house there. And you go, yeah, you got a nice motor home there. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, retiring and uh, traveling around. Hey, got an idea. Why don't I trade you my house for your motor home? We can do that if we want to. But you see, the state of Oregon can't say, tell you what, Frank, you know, you come work for us and we'll pay you in motor homes. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, but I can if I want. If you accept it, we can contract. See, but the state is not a real man or a woman, and they don't get that. They don't get that. They have rules, and the rule is gold and silver. That's it. And somehow, they've gotten around that. Well, not just that they got around it. I mean, part of understanding this is to look and see. It still says, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debt. Mm-hmm. Why hasn't the Constitution been amended to delete that that requirement. There hasn't been gold or silver in circulation, domestic circulation. Basically, last time was 1968. There hasn't. It's gone on 50 years. Why haven't we amended the Constitution? Because I think it's the way the government serves notice on the people and say, "Well, you're not. If you're not using gold or silver, you're in our territorial jurisdiction." I think that's how they point to us. Well, sure, you know, we we wouldn't treat, we wouldn't try to trick you people out there in TV <laughs> land. You know that. We're here to help you, and uh, that's why we left it there. If you're using gold or silver, yeah, you're within a state of the unit. If you're not, then you must be in some other jurisdiction, a district, or whatever. I think it's, and that's why I don't think it's been amended to remove it. If they removed that, then we could argue that, what passes for government in Texas is government of a state of the union. And we'd have access to the Constitution of the state of Texas. We say, yeah, no big deal. We're not dealing with some administrative monstrosity or territory or some of this stuff. We're in the state of the union. And we have all the rights that are guaranteed in the Constitution of the state of Texas. Well, see, they can't. That's pass. a subtle, that's, that's a peculiar way of looking at things, but I think that's the way it may be working. They don't want to do, they don't want to remove that section from the uh, from the Constitution of the United States, if they repealed it, amended it, whatever, then we would be back to maybe having states of the Union. They don't want that. No, I don't, the think, other. You know, I don't think they can have that. Oh, they couldn't stand it. You know, I think Those are the states, again, the Declaration of Independence says in the second sentence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the third sentence says in part that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. What are the governments among men? The states. That's it. 
I'm not convinced that there's any requirement at the federal level to automatically secure my God-given unalienable rights. It absolutely exists within the states of the Union. Within the states of the Union, I can be a free man. Well, and this is something that people have lost grasp of, is the fact that the U.S. Constitution was never meant to have very much interaction with the people at all. I agree. You know, and that was Alexander Hamilton's argument against the Bill of Rights. His argument was like, don't put that in there. You're giving the impression that this document has something to do with the people, and it doesn't. And Well, it has something to do with the people. I mean, it says we the people in order to form a more perfect union. Yeah, but we, we the people we, ratified we, the Constitution and the amendments and so well, on. Well, now, wait a minute. Which people? The people well, of the states. Yeah. And who ratified the Constitution? The states, people of the states of the Union. Well, the states of the Union officially ratified the Constitution. No, that's not true. The people the, did it conventions. The people in the states. Yeah. And then they directed their state. This is how we voted. This is oh, how okay. the states voted. All right, that's fine. That's fine. I indirectly it was that's my point is it's indirect there's this chain of command here the federal government's got nothing to do with the people individually they deal with the states the states deal with the people that's how it was set up to work i think that's i think that's correct with the exception of the territories and the districts right. well, like yeah. washington dc well yeah that's a whole different animal right there's there. a, there's a whole different thing that's where the government has its unlimited powers over those people and they not said, the people hey, of the states of the Union. Somewhere along the line, they said, hey, you know what? We like this a lot better. Why don't we do, oh, this, yeah. every- Why don't we do this everywhere? Do you know how hard <laughs> it would be to convict someone of a crime if we had to do it completely according to the Constitution as written? <laughs> well, their 90% conviction rate would be less. Oh, it would be dramatically less. And what would really happen, it would be very difficult to even get a prosecution going. It would be a situation if you suffered injustice and somebody, if somebody was responsible for committing injustice, truth of the matter is it would be very difficult for you to get them within the courts. Well, By the and, time you got done with Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment and the need to prove intent and a bunch of other stuff like that, it might be that you would be compelled. If you want justice, you're going to have to kill them yourself. Well, you know, <laughs> there's... Yeah, no, it's not a pleasant thought, that, but, but it may be, I think it might have been, there may be some truth to what I just said there. Oh, I think so, too. But it it also means that they wouldn't waste their time trying to harass people who they know really didn't do much of anything to anybody. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, they would I mean, there wouldn't be any seatbelt violations. No. They you didn't use your turn signal? Well, you owe us $200. You know, oh, please, get out of here. They would only go after the pe- pretty much the people that the other people demanded that they hey, listen. I understand. Real criminals. We got somebody out here robbing houses. You got to do something yeah. about it now. Yeah. yeah. You know, or we're going to do something about it. Nobody wants that. You know, so, you know, and they, they I think it would be, you know, a lot better. And plus, criminals. If they realize that, okay, you know, I can I can run around, and, and maybe the state won't get me. But gosh, you know, those homeowners might just string me up and feed me to their animals or something. You know, you, 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 know. you know, there was a story that goes back maybe into Oregon, probably 10, 15 years old. I don't remember where this happened, but true story. There was a little town in 
rural America someplace. I don't remember where for sure. Maybe Oregon, but I'm not sure. But there was a little town, rural community, and they had one guy living in town who was just a complete bully, big, powerful, nasty SOP, picked on everybody, made life miserable for everyone. <laughs> and finally, the whole town got together, and it wasn't, it was maybe two dozen people. And they all stoned him out in the front, out in the street, downtown, wherever their little community. They stoned him, they killed him. And there was nobody to testify against him. <laughs> nobody would. And everybody knew what happened. <laughs> but these people took the law into their own hands because nobody would ever stop this guy. And I don't remember why they wouldn't, but that was blah, blah, blah. And this was allegedly a story that took place in the last 20 years. Well, you see, and this is the this is what happens when, you know, people, you know, when you don't give the state this 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 babysitter ultimate power thing there on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, people got to take some responsibility, you know, for what goes on around them uh, more than they do now. And that's really the thing. I, I, I think in America, that's a real big problem. Nobody wants to take responsibility for, they don't want to take responsibility for their health. They don't want to take responsibility for their legal problems. They don't want to hire a lawyer, get a doctor, get somebody to do this for me. You know, I, I don't do anything. Except know. make money. Yeah, I, I, do pay taxes. I do to make money. That's my job. Yeah. Make money and pay taxes, kind of like being a cow on a, on a, in a barn. Yeah. My job is to eat the grass, make milk. Yeah. When that happens, when I run out of when that's no longer possible, then I get shipped off to the slaughterhouse where they can squeeze the last couple ounces of money out of me. Yeah, that is. And, and people don't want to do anything really outside of their job description. It's like everybody's a union member. I'm sorry, I can't touch that shovel. That's yeah, that's that's exactly the that, that's part of the problem. If if you need it, pay for it. All right, don't make it yourself. Don't do it yourself. Hire somebody. Yeah, that keeps the economy going. Maybe terrible for the nation, but it keeps the economy going. You know, and there's you know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with. You know, I mean, everybody can't know how to do everything. But gosh, things that apply to you every single day of your life, you would think those would be things. But what is not taught in public school? In 12 years of sitting in there, and even four more years of college, they don't teach you squat about health. They don't teach you squat about the law. And these are things that every single day of your life yeah. affect you. And, you, and this, most people don't know nothing about it because they've never been taught. Yeah, and it's not an accident. We live in the most litigious society in the world, and yet kids get out of high school and they don't even understand what a contract is. They have no idea what a traffic ticket is or a parking ticket. They don't know how to deal with them. How is it that we don't educate our children in order to deal with some of these at least minor problems with the law? Yeah, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. We are we are kept in ignorance. Our ignorance is maintained. I mean, if you don't teach people how to understand the law, they're going to live as second-class citizens all their lives. They will always be subject to those who can read and understand the law. Well, I for a long, long time advocated that driver's ed in school should include traffic violations and how, you know, you're going to end up in court because most everybody who drives a car or, you know, is going to end up in, you know, getting a ticket somewhere in their life. Yeah. 
you know, why not make that part of driver's education? I mean, how hard is it to drive a car? Okay, look, that's stop, that's go. This makes it stay on the road or roll off the road. You got it? It's simple. Let's go out on the road. Look, oh, you got it. Good. What? We've wasted a whole hour teaching you how to drive, right? Mm -hmm. The rest Uh, is just practice. I mean, it's not rocket science how to drive a car, because obviously it can't be, because I see people rolling down the road watching movies, drinking coffee, eating lunch, putting on makeup, talking on the phone, all this stuff, and yet they're still going down their lane. Yep. So it can't be that hard. Well, you know one other thing, when you have an accident, it usually takes two cars to have an accident. Usually, yeah. I I won't even say usually. That might not be true. That might not be exactly true. But what I'm trying to get to is this. If I'm going through an intersection on a red light, I'm making a mistake, that's for sure. But I still don't have an accident unless somebody else is probably making a mistake, too, if only in the sense that they're not paying attention. And they're looking to see if there's any idiot like me coming through the red light. And they go ahead anyway. Next thing, we've got two cars in a wreck. If the other driver is a little bit sharp, he's going to either hit the brakes or swerve or whatever, and the second driver can prevent the accident. I may go off in the bushes or something like that. It's hard to say what's going to happen, but it really takes – it's hard to have certainly a good good collision. Yeah, you can't have a good collision. Unless both sides are doing something stupid or fail to do something smart. And see, that's always true, but – See, that second driver at the intersection, if he doesn't have a license, he yep. is watching out for you. And oh, yeah. he is swerving out of your He's way. watching for you, <laughs> yeah. and he's watching for the cops. Yeah. He's watching for everybody. Yep. I mean, get him home. <laughs> he's paying a lot more attention than you are. <laughs> you Probably got it there. burned into his brain. Yep. Uh, you know, the image of what was going on. It's like a videotape that he can rerun. I saw the whole thing. Yeah. There's 17 different cars, and I identified all of them, and I know their license plates and everything. Yep, and, you know, but that's the people, it's a lot easier to drive a car than it is to navigate through traffic court. You yet, know, yet they that's spend, true. They, that's yet true. they spend hours teaching kids how to drive and not a second on what yeah. to do when you get a ticket. Why? Because they want you dumb so they can hustle you out of your money. Well, yeah, now you're going to, what do you do when you get a ticket? Hire a lawyer. Yeah. Or or write the check. Better yet, just write the yeah, check. Yeah, that's the easiest thing. Just write the check. Yeah, write the check. That's I what mean, you do. That's that's part of the that's part of the attraction of traffic tickets. It's cheaper than hire a than hiring a lawyer. And that's yep. your option. You can either pay us now, put it in the mail, or you can hire a lawyer and they'll charge even they're even they're a bigger bunch of thieves than we are. Yeah, and it's like I, the Bloods advertising. Don't do business with the Crips. We're cheap. We're the Bloods. We'll give you. We can. We give you a deal. Yeah, and that's. And then you get to walk away. Yeah, you think. You think walking away, not having to pay a fine, isn't really a win. Well, hey, go to court, pay a lawyer, and then walk away with a dismissal. That's really not a win, because you have to pay the lawyer. Yeah, I know. So plus <laughs> the time and everything else. I mean, if you want to win, you got to get a check, or better yet something tangible out of your adversary. Now you're winning. The rest of this says, the rest of this, you can frustrate them, and hey. you get to the point where you can defend against them pretty well, and they may leave you alone. Hey, I'd even take but a... you still haven't won anything. I consider even a win, uh, even without a monetary compensation, if they go, okay, uh, not guilty, with prejudice. Okay, 
To me, that's a win. Because in that jurisdiction now, you won't be getting that ticket again. Well, maybe, maybe not. It depends on the jurisdiction. But I can understand why a mere youth like you might think of that as a win. When you get mature, in the sense that I am, you understand, no, that doesn't get it done. We've got to make these people pay one way or another, and that means somebody's really got to write you a check or something like that. So it's true. You really do get mean when you get older, huh? No, you get wise. (laughs) and And there's the problem. A lot of people being wise and being mean. In fact, they're kind of the same thing after a while. (laughs) Well, what's that old saying that says, uh, let's see, treachery and something always uh, defeats youth and something else? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't remember the exact words either, but I know what you're talking (laughs) about. Yeah, I like that saying. We've got to cut it off, Frank. Yeah, we are. Look at that. We're out of time. Man. I want to thank all of you folks for listening. Hope it was interesting. Maybe you learned something. I'm Alfred Addis here with Frank Stefan on the American Independence Hour. We'll be back next Tuesday, good Lord willing, and we hope you will tune in at that time. Good night. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water.
some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Good afternoon, but good evening. I am your host, Jay Shanahan. For those of you that uh, 
you know, maybe you're a little bit confused here if you didn't get the memo. This is the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show for Tuesday night. Uh, what is it, the 26th day of July 2016, as you guys all know from last week, my schedule has changed, and there was maybe some abruptness there and what have you, but I am live, and I am your host, Jay Shannon. I know you're used to listening uh, to Frank at this hour, but he has graciously offered me this time slot so I could continue to do my show with my new schedule. And we'll just see how it goes there, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you all stay tuned in. I will continue to provide for you uh, some cutting-edge commentary and all of that. So let me get on with the administrative stuff. Uh, again, this, uh, this is live. This is not a recording. It is Tuesday night, 26th day of July, 2016. It is seven minutes past the hour. And you are still tuned in to the American Voice Radio Network, which means you can go to the American Voice Radio or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's a website for this network. And then you can get into the chat room. I see Nunya in there. I see somebody. Uh, John Gaunt withdraws consent is maybe bidding us to do. <laughs> no, uh, we kind of put the memo out somewhat there, Nunya, last week that, uh, you know, I can't do my shows on Tuesday and, and Wednesday any longer. I mean, on Wednesday and Thursdays any longer. So, again, he graciously offered me this time slot. And I, I mean, how could I resist uh, the 8 p.m. time slot? Uh, this is uh, it's a big chair to fill. I'll do the best that I can. Let me continue on a bit of administrative stuff. Nothing really changes. I have a website. haven't done much on there with the new schedule and all of that, but you can still check it out, conditioncriticalshow.com. That's conditioncriticalshow.com. A couple new things on there, kind of, sort of. Check it out. I encourage you to do that on my blog. A couple donate links. More importantly, the donate link for this network. I would like everybody right now to take the time to go to the donate link for American Voice Radio and donate $5, Frank would appreciate it. And as I always say, so would I. Again, I'm not filling in for Frank. This is, uh, I, I, you know, as far as I know, it's, it's temporarily permanent or permanently temporary, uh, given the fact it will be you know, changing again here in, uh, in January. And things might even change before that, because it's still pretty chaotic where I work, so I won't get into all of it. But, uh, yeah. A lot of business, not enough people, pretty much. So what else? That's about it. Let's just get on with some things. Uh, like I say, nothing's going to really change. My show is going to be the Condition Critical Show, and that's, that's where we are right now this evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I would uh, maybe see some more people come in and out of the chat room. If not, no big deal. There is a call-in number, 1-800-932-1980. That's the call-in number. And call in Frank. Frank will answer, and he'll put you on the air. Uh, for those of you that have stayed tuned in, you just got done listening to Frank and Al, one of my more favorite shows on AVR. They go over a lot of stuff. It's a really good show. I like the new format, which isn't really new. They've been both for quite a while now going without a break, and I think it just works better that way uh, to not interrupt those two guys. And while they kind of talk what they're talking about, they if you really pay attention, and I'm sure that uh, – I'm preaching to the choir here. You can really learn a lot. I take notes usually. And, uh, you know, if not with a pen and a paper, I use my handy-dandy notepad on my iPhone, and I save links, and I look up the different U.S. codes and all that kind of different thing that, you know, that they talk about. Might come in handy someday. So there you go. Just thought I would uh, put that plug in for that show. It's a great show. I would actually like to hear it more often. All right. Well, let's just... Uh, 
Let's just get on with the condition critical show there, ladies and gentlemen. Now, let's see, since we last spoke, a lot of stuff happens. I mean, the world moves kind of quickly. Given the fact that we're falling off the edge of the world, things are kind of out of control. What We've had what? We've had a, a two or three, uh, what do you want to call them? I hate, to, I hate to call them terrorist attacks because I don't believe in the whole concept of terrorism as, as they define it now, their whole narrative. But let's just, for the sake of argument, that's what they call them. You had another one in France, Normandy this time. That's right, Normandy, northern France. You had a couple of Muslim savages uh, take some hostages in a church. And they killed an 81 or 86-year-old priest, and then the cops obviously killed them. That's how it works. So you had that. You had, I don't know what the circumstances were, or the demographics were in Japan, where you had a, a knife attack. So this dude kills 19 people in a knife attack. That's a pretty prolific knife attacker dude right there, you know, to, to get away with or to accomplish that feat to kill 19 people with a knife. Uh, you know, I... You know, where, where were the men? I, I don't know. I, I haven't read anything about it. I just kind of saw the headline. And then you had, I think you had another, uh, two more attacks in Germany. You had uh, a Syrian refugee, asylum seeker, as they like to call him. He got denied entry into some festival somewhere. And he so he came back with uh, 50 pounds of TNT strapped to his back and blew, it blew himself up. <laughs> They're calling it a suicide bombing. <laughs> Jeez, re- where'd they come up with that, a suicide bombing? I mean, a guy straps 50 pounds of dynamite to himself and detonates himself. Yeah, okay, that's a suicide bombing. So you had that one, and I think there was one more. Uh, it's slipping my mind right now. It, it kind of doesn't matter. But this whole concept, uh, ladies and gentlemen, of, of how they're forcing you know, these uh, asylum seekers, that's a, they got all these little cute names for them, asylum seekers, you know, refugees, and, and, and what have you, when they're nothing more than invaders. And, and, you know, Angela Merkel, and what's his name in, in France? Uh, France, Francis, Francis Hollande, or Francois Hollande, whatever he calls himself. You know, they've let these people in to those countries over there and to those nations over there, and, I mean, you get what you get. So I don't really have much sympathy for them or the people because, you know, at the end of the day, the people let it happen. But we got problems right here in this country, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I didn't pay much attention you know, to the Republican National Convention. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a lot of regard for the Republicans, Donald Trump included. Uh, politicians are politicians. But I will say this. Republicans don't repulse me near as much as Democrats do. Democrats are just a kind of a special breed, okay? They are just a special breed of, of call them human beings, creatures, whatever you want to call them. That would be Democrats. Uh, these are vile, and these are, you know, disgusting people. And I haven't watched any of the Democratic National Convention, just like I didn't watch any of the Republican National Convention. I did, however, tune into uh, Ted Cruz, a little bit of his uh, pathetic speech, and I caught most of Donald Trump's speech, which, okay, whatever. Now, as far as the Democratic National Convention goes, I haven't, I've just caught snippets, like, uh, you know, on the radio, like a news account or something like that. And, of course, you have all the chants from the Bernie supporters uh, booing. Even Bernie Sanders, when he said, Hillary Clinton must be president. And that whiny, pathetic old man, East Coast uh, Jewish voice uh, that he has. And they, they, they shouted him down, uh, booed him. Not necessarily off the stage, but they booed him. And 
to to their to not so much their credit because nothing that they're doing is to their credit. These are these are disgusting, vile people. But you know they have all their disgusting and vile celebrities and all that that come out and give them endorsements and and do some speaking and all that. Well, they had Sarah Silverman and she's a comedian and she's a pig. She's just no two ways about it. Sarah Silverman is is a pig. So she comes out and she's trying to shut the crowd up by calling them. She's saying you're acting ridiculous and you're being ridiculous. Well, that's what they think about you, uh, they're Democrats. So there's one of your heroes, Sarah Silverman. She's someone that gets on HBO and is, does some pretty vile and disgusting stuff on HBO. She's a very, she's a degenerate, okay? And that's what Sarah Silverman thinks of you, because she can kind of get away with, because she's not running for office or anything like that. And I'm going to get into some of this other stuff, but I did want to mention that about Sarah Silverman, because I've never cared for this, this, this person. But that's the kind of people out there that you have representing the Democratic Party. Sarah Silverman, there you go. Now, what I did want to focus on somewhat, and I didn't listen to it, but you had Michelle Bigfoot Obama. That's the, uh, the boyfriend wife of the half of a black guy president. Now, normally, first ladies, if you will, and these are nothing, you know, these, these, are, these are not ladies. That's what they call them. So just for the sake of it, I'll call Michelle Bigfoot Obama. Okay, she's the first lady, whatever. But what I was going to say is normally first ladies have been kind of left uh, out of the mix, kind of. But I don't know when it changed. I don't know, if, and, and I don't know if it changed with Hillary Clinton, the role of the first lady, if you will. But it certainly, to me, that's where it changed because she became something more of just a first lady, someone who would go out and and maybe support like a lemonade stand or, or go down to the local 4-H club and, 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 and dedicate a barn or, or do something just kind of obscure. Hillary Clinton was an unelected woman who was the wife of a, of a, of a pretty lousy president and a degenerate himself, Bill Clinton, who had not even arguably more power than the vice president who was Al Gore at the time. Okay. Now, I'm not saying Michelle Bigfoot Obama has kind of, you know, overtaken that role or kind of replicated that role, if you will, as far as having a lot of power. But she thinks she does. Because that's how blacks are. They're very righteously indignant, and that's just how they are. Now, I bring her up again for a reason. And as I said, most of the time, first ladies are kind of, you leave them out of it. But, hey, when they interject themselves into the political spectrum, then they're open game. So my po- you know, my, my, another point would be they don't get to have it both ways. And an ongoing theme with me is this whole one of my mantras is we're all the same until we're not. Because there's all this, you know, I have an article in, somewhere in my little filing system here about uh, uh, it's his mom, and she wants to go out shopping for her daughter, right? But she wants to do it like in a gender-neutral way. And she's having a hard time doing it. She goes to the store, and they got uh, monster pajamas for the boys and, 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 and Princess Leia uh, pajamas for the, for the girls. And in the toy section, you got uh, uh, dump trucks for the boys. And, and over here, you got Barbie dolls for the girls. And she doesn't, want that, that, she doesn't want that for her daughter. She doesn't want that for her daughter, who happens to be, let's see, a daughter. That's, uh, that's right, it's a female. She doesn't want her daughter to identify as a female. Why? I don't know. But they buy into this whole, we're all the same. But at the same time, they really don't, because here's the headline. This is from USA Today. Gender, race, Trump. Michelle Obama went there. 
Now I'm just going to read from the article a little bit. And the headline's out of Philadelphia. Again, it's USA Today. First Lady Michelle Obama, whose words were borrowed by Donald Trump's wife at the Republican National Convention last week, responded Monday with an unusually politically or political speech in which she took aim at the Republican nominee for being temperamentally unsuited to the job her husband now holds. Don't let anyone tell you, and this is a quote, don't let any, anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great, that somehow we need to make it great again, because this right now is the greatest country on earth. Well, that's a kind of a far cry from what she said initially when the, her half of a black husband was nominated and elected back in what was it, 2008, when she said she, she's never been proud of this country. So when, what, does she, what, what does she mean? Or which one does she mean? Is this country great? Is it the greatest country that there ever was? Is what she's saying here again? Uh, make it great again? Because this right now is the greatest country on earth. Or was she telling the truth back then that she was never proud of her country? Which one? That's what I mean about these people. It's all doublespeak with them. And you just got to really catch them on this. She went on to say, and I quote, let me find it here. Then she went on to say enthusiastically, Afterwards, she enthusiastically endorsed the crooked Hillary, and that's a, I guess, uh, I guess, I see I have a caller, but hold on, I want to make this point. Uh, I guess that's what Donald Trump calls her, crooked Hillary, but I'll go ahead and, and just use that for, for Hillary Clinton. But before I continue any further, I see we have a caller, so go ahead, caller. What's your name, and uh, where are you calling from? My name is Bob. Well, hey, Bob. <laughs> and I've heard you've been talking about me on the air. Hey, you know what? That's just what I do. <laughs> you know, call SWAT. You, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Call the SWAT team. You know, I'm ready for him. Tell so. him it's that guy again. It's me. It's no, that Jay Shannon. I was Shannon. wondering where my, what happened to my favorite show. I mean, where where is it? I mean, wh- well, I, no. no it, I'm just kidding, man. You know, I'm just, <laughs> but is, is he dead? Did he die? Is that what happened? Is he dead? Because that's what you oh, I, everybody wants to know if I'm not around. What, is he dead? Is he finally dead? <laughs> no, I think you're right here. You were just on with Al, ladies and gentlemen, as you all should know. Oh, yeah, that's Frank, right. Yes, I was. Owner of ABR. Here he is, the the voice of the Frank Report. And it, I know it's got to be kind of a change for people, and I'm just trying to, you know, just do this seamlessly, Frank. I'm just trying oh, to I do know, my show. I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know... Calling in to let anybody out there who, you know, because, you know, how conspiracy theories are. Oh, yeah. And and people will have them over anything, okay? And I just want everybody to know that, uh, you know, I'm happy for Jay to have this, this hour, and I've changed my time, you know, many times in the past, uh, you know, for the same reason. Other people's um, schedules change or, you know, things change, and, and I try to be accommodating uh, with my own show, you know, to make room uh, for changes, so doesn't make any difference to me. And plus, that was my, you know. Now I'm going to be self-serving, just to let people know and announce that I will be on right after the show. Well, that's great. I didn't want to put you on the spot because, uh, you know, I, I. That's why I tune into ABR. I mean, I listen to the other shows as well, Frank. But I mean. That's the reason you're the reason I've always tuned in ABR. I've always admired you as a as a as a host, and I'd like your commentary. And I burn your archives up, and I'm just I'm one of them sycophants. I'm just one of those guys. So. Uh, well, I'm just hoping you know I'm, I'm trying to let people know, you know, uh, that's why I held off to the kind of end of your first half because I'll you know I won't bug you anymore. But to let people know that uh, 
you know, when Jay's on at 8, I'll be on at 9. So, you know, you just have to wait another hour. And for you folks out there who schedule, you know, that really messes you up and you don't get to listen. There are the archives, and, you know, that's the best I can do for you uh, on that. You know, I realize now it's going to be midnight on the East Coast. But, hey, you guys on the East Coast don't go to bed until after midnight. Well, a lot of people clamor, and I... I don't mean that derogatorily or anything, that they always want you to do a second hour anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I would always tune in anyway. So, so I wonder but yeah, I now, do want to say thanks. I wonder you know, now, what, though, if anybody's going to want a second hour. <laughs> right, right, right. We can right. cut down on those complaints anyway. Oh, I'm thinking you've quashed you know, those uh, pretty good there. You know, so I, cause <laughs> I really, I don't, you know, usually I, I don't do a second hour just because people ask but every once in a while I'll just do one because I feel like it and and I and when I do it I'll admit you know I try to make it a surprise you know well you I certainly really, do I yeah. really do I go out of my way to try to make it a surprise when I do a second hour so now it'll really be a surprise but okay. you know I'm glad and I hope you'll be able to do more than just Tuesday so I'll put you on the spot under pressure and uh, you know you can get all the hate mail and whatever right right you know. well i am working on that and it should i should know the thing is i don't want to what i don't want to do is have it be maybe i could do it this wednesday but not i don't oh, even know sure. you, yeah consistencies you know yeah whatever whatever's done any with anybody you know and that that's anybody you know needs yeah. to be consistent because everybody out there knows how the uh you know how people on the internet are whether they're listening to radio or looking at websites you know, you go to a website and things don't work out, you know, for you. It's either not there or whatever, or the stream is down or whatever. People just go elsewhere. You That's know, they, true. They don't wait around. They don't, you know, they're not going to, there's too many other choices and they just go. So consistency is really important with, you know. Whatever. It is, but content, but I believe content is, is more, at least for me, content is more important. I mean, it's just, yeah, that's, you know, that's how I feel. But content, good, uh, honest you know, thought-provoking and all that kind of content. And I believe that uh, oh, sure. ABR stands uh, stands alone in that regard, so in that department. So. Well, I think everybody on ABR is sincere, and, and that's how I put it, is that everybody on here, because, uh, you know, I certainly don't agree with everybody uh, every time. I agree with I, I agree with some of what everybody says, and mm-hmm. and I don't agree totally with anybody. But whether I agree or not, and take this to heart, too, folks, whether you agree or not. Understand that the people are sincere in what they're telling you. Meaning, you know, they can be wrong, but they believe what they're saying is the truth. And that means a lot. Uh, you know, you can't get that on television anywhere. No, it's getting harder and harder to find, even on alternative radio. Yeah, it is. You know, it used to be you could go to alternative radio almost anywhere. And and people were generally sincere and honest and all that. Well, you know, like everything else, money has become more important than any of that for most. Well, well, honestly, most people. Well, most. I guess it happens. I don't know why it happens, but I guess that happens. But I can usually pick out right away when I'm and I've listened to other hosts and I, you know, I just I can figure it out pretty quick. You know, well, I can name some hosts. I'll name one just. For instance, political cesspool. And I don't have a problem. I think his name's James Edwards, right? James Edwards, whatever. It's political cesspool, dude. Right. He has a network or whatever. Maybe it's not his, but 
there's just something about his delivery. And it just, and I don't want to say any more than that because maybe people like him, but it just doesn't, it just comes across. I don't know. It just doesn't come across as genuine to me. And so I, I don't listen to the guy any longer. So. Well, and, and, here's, and, and here's the funny thing. He used to have a co-host, uh, and him and his co-host actually started here on AVR. I did not know that. And then they moved, they moved off, and there was no, no bad thing or anything, uh, no bad blood or anything. But what ends up happening is success... Okay, everybody wants to be successful, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But people, you know, and, and to a certain degree it's true that, you know, money is success. You, the more money you make, the more successful you are. Okay, well, what happens, at least what I've seen happen, and I don't know if there's a solution to it or not, other than to stay poor, that's, that's been <laughs> my solution anyway, but the... Uh, yeah, you get the money coming in, right? You've got some certain amount of success, right? And and gotcha. money's coming in. Well, people get used to money. Okay? Oh, yeah. And you start buying things. You start getting used to buying things. You get used to having this certain amount of money coming in. Well, and now okay. somebody says, hey, you're going to have to do this or stop saying that or this or that or the other thing be- or you know, some of that money is going to stop. And right. that's generally what happens. And, and, it, and it usually isn't so blatant. Usually it is subtle. A hint, a little thing. Or you realize, hmm, i got to stop saying that or my money's getting, you know, slowing down. And that's what happens. And after little incremental steps in the wrong direction that way, you know, you wake up one day and you're a lion shill. And then you're not what you... Were you know yeah, yeah you know and you never intended for that to happen, but there you are, and this is what I've seen, how it's happened, you know and I've also experienced you know m- man you can get used to having money, well sure and you don't uh, yeah. lose that money and somewhere well, along the line you've got to be willing to cut your nose off to spite your face, and everybody's taught that's a bad thing. You're unreasonable to do something like that. You're crazy to do something like that. Well, sometimes it's ethical to do something like that. And you've just got to be, money's great, money's fine, success is wonderful, but you've got to be able to say, oh, yeah, I don't care. Take it. You know, I'm I'm not bending. And, you know, if you can't do that, you're in danger. Sure. You know, that's all. You know, that's the thing. And I've always said... Go ahead. I, I've always said that, that, and I've said it a number of times, I'll say it again, that I believe you could make millions. And, I, and okay, if not you, Al, certainly, listening to him uh, this evening, last week, I'm like, this guy, <laughs> this guy, he, he could be on, like, Bloomberg or something like that. They've got these, and you call them shills. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got these other people out there, these financial analysts, they come on, and they're the, the expert financial guy, and they're going to get him on. And I'm thinking, Al would just be... <laughs> He could just frame these people, and he could he could be so successful monetarily, but he he he's not. He chooses not to be. That to me says something. Uh, well, and the thing the, is, it's like it's not a look. It's not. I don't think it's a choice to be. I don't want to make money. It's a choice that look. I'm not going to 
change exactly. what I'm saying. Right. And right. they won't pay you if you're not willing to do that. It's just no. They're not going to listen to what Al has to say. He's not. You know, they're just not. Jill Schlesinger. She's the CBS business analyst, and she's just their girl. And they're not going to take what Al has to say. They're, he's going to come in and audition. They're going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute here. Okay, show, show him the door. Or like they're Al, going to get the script. Al, are you willing to wear a tight skirt? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, are you willing to read this script? You can't just say that, but it's the truth. Well, that doesn't matter. People don't want to hear the truth. It's like that Jack Nicholson thing right. in the movie. You, you can't handle the truth. And, <laughs> and that is so true. Well, it uh, is. And they could handle it. They just don't want to because they don't want to take responsibility. Because the thing is, I mean, I know you get frustrated, and so do other people, because you know the truth, and you're sitting there, and you want to do something, and you're like, well, okay, what do I do? Am I going to be the one, you know, because I know if I just, you know, go downtown and take some people out that need out, I'm going to be painted all around the world as some crackpot crazy, and, and, and it's not going to do any good. Yeah, it'll get rid of those few people, but... It's not going to, you know, it's going to be manipulated to a way that it does more harm than good. Right. You know, and it's a frustrating situation, but, hey, that's where we're at. You just try to plug along. But i got to let you go because you got to take a break. You do? Well, thanks for uh, calling in, Bob, and we'll talk to you again later. Thanks. Okay. Okay, fellas, uh, that is time for the break. We'll uh, enjoy the music, and uh, we'll see you afterwards. Take care.
people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
All right, folks, welcome back. Second half of the Condition Critical Show with your host, Jay Shanahan. That's right, folks. This is the Condition Critical Show. This is my live show, Tuesday evening, 42 minutes past the 8 o'clock hour. It is the 26th day of July 2016. I'm just kind of following along in the chat room with none of you there. I, I didn't know that uh, Rick Ocasek was uh, 67 years old. I, I would have to, I'm actually, I don't want to say stunned, but I'm kind of surprised that he's that old. That's, well, talented guy. Yeah, he, he was married. I don't know if he's still married to the, to the, to the uh, Eastern European gal there that he kind of hooked up with in some of his uh, videos when he was a, uh, uh, became like a single uh, recording artist. Uh, of course, Rick Ocasek, uh, one of the founding members, not necessarily the best lead vocalist of the rock group Cars, and I think they, were, they went by both names. They went by Cars and The Cars. And then after, what was his name, Benjamin Orr's death, he died of pancreatic cancer. He was, in my opinion, the, the best, the better of the lead singer, as, as far as between him and Rick Ocasek goes. But he died of pancreatic cancer. Fool, I don't know. A dozen years ago, ten years ago, something like that, whatever. Uh, and you know how bands do when a when a when a when a uh, prominent member dies. They're okay. They're done. They're not going to reform. And and then they were, and then they weren't. Well, they did for a while, and they called themselves the New Cars. And I, I can't tell you what any of their songs were. I don't know if Rico Kasich was even part of that. I know, I believe Todd Rudgren was. Uh, but you know, when it gets into all that, it's beyond you know, what I was used to and all that. Maybe they were good, maybe they weren't. I don't know. Okay, he died in 2000, so I was about right, about a dozen years. So it's a little bit more, but yeah. Pancreatic cancer, very prominent lead singer from the Cars or Cars. There you go. Eddie Money, uh, when I believe second song, Two Tickets to Paradise. Okay, let's continue on. I want to thank Bob, a.k.a. Frank, for calling in. And I think we maybe covered everything there, so... I just I do want to finish up with this article because I think it's important to point out the hypocrisy within the Democratic Party, and that's what we're talking about right now is the Democratic Party. Because as I said, the, you know the Republicans, I'm not happy with them, and and I don't like any politician, but but Republicans don't repulse me like Democrats do. Democrats are just repulsive, disgusting people. Uh, they just are. They, there's something different about them. It's it just different than Republicans, and I don't know that I can necessarily define it other than that they're just more vile, they're more disgusting, and they're degenerates for the most part. Okay. And Michelle Obama, as I like to call her, Moo Shell, Bigfoot Obama, that's right, the boyfriend, wife of the half of a black guy who calls himself Barack Hussein Obama. Where did I leave off? Well, I left off with her enthusiastically endorsing Democrat Hillary Clinton for president. That's right. And I was meant, I referred to her as crooked Hillary. And that's another thing, really. And I'm going to try and get through with this article before the end of the show this evening. But it, and it really ties in with, with the article about, oh, it's so historic. The first woman and blah, blah, blah. And that's what I mean. I'm like, wait a minute. I thought we were all the same. I thought we weren't supposed to, you know, identify one another by gender or by race. That was that would be racist or bigoted or sexist or misogynist or all these other isms and name-calling and names that they spew, that they spew. That's what Democrats do. Democrats spew names. 
like racist and bigot and homophobe and all that. They spew those names to shut you up. I thought we were all the same, but uh, I guess we're not. So I want to know how it's so historic. Isn't she just a, it just a, I mean, why are we even saying her if we're supposed to not identify uh, by gender? That's that sexist. You shouldn't do that. We're all the same. We, can, we all can do the same thing. But then out of the other side of the mouth, first woman to be nominated president. Like it's that big of a deal. Like it's that big of a deal. Because it really isn't, at the end of the day, that big of a deal. At the end of the day, we just want the most qualified person to lead this country to greatness, to take care of this country's people. (coughs) Excuse me, but that's not what the Democrats are doing. The Democrats are for open borders. They're for amnesty at every turn. They call it immigration reform. See, I talked a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week, about calling things what they are. That's what we have to start doing on this side. And I'm not saying from the Republican side. I'm just saying on this side, on the side that someone like I would be on, or listeners to this show or to this network would be on. That is the side of calling things what they are. Immigration reform means amnesty. I was listening to some news account today about uh, uh, this Dave Ross fella. He was interviewing the uh, hotel motel. I think she's half of a dyke. Governor Kate Brown from Oregon, and she was talking about if Hillary Clinton gets elected, she will be able to nominate. And look, you should heed these words. She's predicting that Hillary Clinton would be able to nominate not just two, but perhaps three Supreme Court nominees. What she said is, uh, how did she use it? What was the word she used? And not integral, but can't think of the word she used about how 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 much of an impact, you know, uh, that would be. Those, those two or at least three nominations to the Supreme Court would be to overturn Citizens United. Now, I'm not familiar with Citizens United, but I'm guessing that they don't like it. And because they're, you know, it, 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 I'm guessing because I'm, I'm not familiar with them, so I could be way off, but I don't think I am. Uh, and this is just all about what they call immigration reform. And you have organizations out there, which I suppose uh, Citizens United are opposed to open borders and are opposed to amnesty and are opposed to what the Democrats and some Republicans want to call immigration reform. Now, I'm kind of getting off the beaten path here because I really want to focus on in the waning minutes here of Michelle Bigfoot Obama's uh, speech at the Democratic National Convention. And again, the headline is, and it's important to reinstate the headline or reiterate it, gender and race, and also Trump. Because let me find it here. The issue, let me just read on, and, see, and, and then we'll get to it. And this is a quote from Michelle. The issues a president faces, now listen, listen. The issues a president faces are not black and white and cannot be boiled down into 140 characters, the first creature said. First lady, it says here, but... She's not a lady. She's not a lady. It's not a person lady thing. It's a creature. It's a Michelle. It's a Bigfoot. Anyway, she went on to quote, it went on to quote, because when you have the nuclear codes at your fingertips and the military at your command, that's right, the military at your command to dress them up in tutus, right, to let them wear lipstick, right, uh, let them, uh, you know, instead of carrying a rifle and a hand grenade, they, they carry sex toys and and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, sexual lubricant, right, into the foxhole. I'm not kidding. Okay. 
So, yeah, he's got the military at his command. Cuban also, you can't make snap decisions. You can't have a thin skin or the tendency to lash out. Hmm, okay. It, she, also said, hold on. Now, she's further saying that children look to adults. They always have to, they always have to do that. I mean, that's getting old, isn't it? It's for the children. But it must work because she's doing it. She's drumming up the children. The article goes on and says, she said children look to adults, and especially the president, to shape their values. Uh, no. No, I, I never looked to the president to shape my... Who, who does that? Who instills in their children to look to the president to shape... Who does that? The president is just a politician. Good or bad. And lately, at least in the last 50 or 100 years, they've all been bad. Well, not all. You know how that goes. So anybody that would uh, advise their children to look to the president to shape their values when the parents should be instilling values into them in the first place just proves that they shouldn't have kids. Let me continue on. Make no mistake about it. This November, when we go to the polls, and this is a quote from Michelle Bigfoot, that's what we're deciding. It said, who will have the power to shape our children for the next four to eight years of their lives? Did you hear what she said? Let me repeat that, what this creature said. Who will have the power to shape our children for the next four to eight years of their lives? I'm going to repeat that a third time. Michelle Bigfoot Obama, this is a direct quote from the podium of the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, and I quote, Who will have the power to shape our children for the next four to eight years of their lives? I can answer that question. I have that power exclusively there, you wench. Not you, and not some president, and not some politician. But that's what, we've, that's what we do now. We leave it up to the politicians. We leave it up to someone else to raise our kids and to take care of us. Next thing you know, when I go sit down on the crapper tomorrow, I'm going to expect somebody to come in and reach underneath there and wipe for me. Is that how it's coming? Is that what we're getting down to here? Apparently. I think I'll handle that job myself. Sorry if that was vulgar. Let me continue on. Michelle Bigfoot Obama also took an oblique shot at supporters of Bernie, Big Mouth Sanders, who often interrupted the first night of the convention with shouts of Bernie, Bernie. Now she's speaking of his moronic supporters. And look, Sarah Silverman called them ridiculous, so I can certainly call them moronic. They kind of jive, don't they? It continues. The article continues. In contrast, Obama said Clinton supported Barack Hussein Obama at the 2008 convention. Well, she had no choice. Okay, she had no choice. It continues on. This is a quote. When she didn't win the nomination eight years ago, she didn't get angry or delusioned. Really? Huh. Okay, Obama said. She further went on to say, and I quote, she did not pack up and go home because as a true public servant, she knows this is so much bigger than her own desires and disappointments. Well, I'll agree with that completely. As a true public servant, they know when they have to fall on their sword, and they know when it's maybe time to come back and fight another day. And I said this on Al's show when I called him like a week or two weeks ago, the Democrats are much better at this than the Republicans about coalescing uh, you know, together and not fragmenting. They, 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 just, they, they focus, man, eye on the prize, eye on the prize, and they'll fall on their sword, they'll, they'll, do, they'll, they'll throw their own children under the bus. Democrats are pretty good at that, and they always have been. It's one thing 
and I hate to say that it's something that I admire about them because you really shouldn't admire evil, but you, it's at least I marvel at, at it because I guess you shouldn't admire it. Not I guess you shouldn't admire it evil. Let me continue on. The article continues. She also confronted – now here's – this is kind of getting into some more meat and potatoes here. Now listen, this is from the article. This isn't necessarily a quote. This is from the article. She also confronted issues of gender and race, saying that Clinton was picked apart for how she looks or how she talks or even how she laughs or cackles, I would say. Clinton, she said, has, quote, the guts and the grace to keep coming back and putting those cracks in that highest and hardest glass ceiling until she finally breaks through. The article goes on. And she said her own story. Now, this is from this is Michelle Bigfoot Obama's own story, the article is saying. And I'll start over. And she said her own story is a story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done. Okay, so now what she's trying to do is say that she was, you know, in bondage and that she had to suffer segregation. Well, we all know that blacks always self-segregate, and that's just what they do, and I don't have a problem with that. But she's the woe is me. She's the one that several years ago went to some farmhouse in South or North Carolina and claimed that it was her grandmother's and it was some plantation. And that's where she grew up. And her grandmammy was a was a slave. And, and I beat a granddaughter of a slave. And, and I just beat his poor downtrodden black woman. Bull. We all know that's crap. But, hey, that's what Democrats do best is lie. I mean, they do it far, far better and without any shame than Republicans ever have or ever will. Let me try and finish this up before the end of the show. We do kept on striving, blah, blah, blah. Obama also returned to the familiar themes of motherhood and family she spoke of at the 2008 convention. That speech has already reverberated into the 2016 election last week, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm not going to really continue on with it. It's pretty much over. My point of bringing it up in the closing minutes of the show here is to point out the hypocrisy. And this stays on theme. I like to have themes for my shows. I think it's, for me anyway, it's at least easier to follow along and not be so fragmented. And the theme lately has been we need to call things what they are. Okay? And this hypocrisy, that is, it's just blatant out there. It's right in your face. We're, we're the same, but we're not. Right? Uh, you know, black lives matter, all lives don't. Uh, Right. I thought we were the same, but we're not. It's the whole we're the same until we're not. It, we have to point that out at each and every turn, and we have to throw that back in their face. Look, if, if Hillary Clinton is you know, nominated to be president, why should we make such a big deal about it that she's the first woman when they don't want to make big deals about it when it doesn't go their way, right, if that makes any sense, right? Because it's always with them that we're all the same. But they always want to, again, they always want to come out and, 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 and tout, you know, first woman this, first black guy that, first homo this, you know, first degenerate thing that, when I thought we were all the same. Let one white guy, let one white guy say, hey, first white guy to head the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Well, because white is a color, and I think that, we sh- I think that there should be a, a white guy. I mean, why should it be so predominantly black, or why should it always be some black dude or a Jewish guy? Because that's who founded the NAACP, in case you uh, weren't aware of that. 
Well, I see we're kind of at the end of the show, and I did want to talk about Debbie Blabbermouth Schultz, but perhaps we'll have to do that next week, or, or maybe Frank will bring her up. But as I like to say at the end of my show, uh, ladies and gentlemen, every week, God bless each and every one of you for listening. Please check out my website again, conditioncriticalshow.com. That's where you can reach me. Send me emails. You have my cell phone number, 253-973-2995. Haven't given that out for a while. Send me a text message. Let me know how I'm doing, so forth and so on. Two things, ladies and gentlemen. Be all that you can be on God's green earth, wherever you are, and become a domestic terrorist because we have to take this country back. They're not going to give it back to us. We have to take it from them because freedom comes from the sword. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because Frank... Uh, we'll be coming up after my show here with the Frank Report. So nice talking to you this uh, week, folks. We'll see you next week. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies 
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is still Tuesday, July 26th, 2016, and it is about seven minutes after 9 p.m. Okay, that is a new time for me on Tuesdays now. Uh, This is not my second hour like on Monday. This is just a new time slot. One hour later, uh, condition critical will be at 8 p.m. on Tuesday, so that's like a double header, folks. Anyhow, uh, I still have to change the schedule on the uh, website, so I'm on it. I'm on it. It's just going to take a, a little bit, probably by tomorrow, but I'll change it, and uh well, I have to change the day on the uh, on the archives too, but uh, you know, don't worry, it'll all be good by you know not by tomorrow, but tomorrow it'll be all fixed. So there you have it. All right, so uh, eight hundred nine three two nineteen eighty. If you would like to call in, you can. You can also go to the chat room which is located on our website, which is theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And you'll see the chat link. It's right under schedule. It says ABRN chat, right up there at the top. Okay? And then, again, down a little about halfway with the archive section. And this is confusing to some people because uh, they were used to going to a whole archive page Well, now the archives are just listed over on the menu, and you just click the show you want, okay? And then it takes you to that particular page. It's, you know, same thing, different way of getting there, but it's all good and it all works. So, you know, that's the main thing. Anyhow, uh, there's people chatting away in there. It's not as full as it was earlier, but hey, you get in there, you can fill her up. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah, I I should tell you, look, the instructions are right on there. I'll I'll read them to you. If you have difficulties creating an account, which you will, okay, that's the only difference, which I guess I'll change that while I'm changing other things, uh, to just say this is how you're going to have to do it because I had to disable the create account, you know, thing for you because spammers, hey, thanks to the spammers, they ruined it for you, but, you know, hopefully I'll be able to get some security measures, but I've tried, I've tried one security thing that said it would work, uh, but the minute I, I put it on there and, you know, out in the wild, here they come, here comes the spam, uh, you know, request, had to shut it down again, so that didn't work, but, uh, hey, just send me an email. I, I've got the email right there. I mean, if you have an email client, you can just click it and it should open up. And if you don't, you just copy and paste that into your uh, email and and send me an email. Say I want to create, I want in the chat room. You know, and I I have right there. Send the name, your name, the screen name you want, what state you're from. I already have your email. You know, because you sent me an email, and I'll just reply to it, and then, boom, you know, you'll have an account. I'll just put in a generic password, you know, that will work to get you in there. And then once you're in there, you can change your password to something you want. You know, uh, it's it's really 
not that much more difficult, but it is a little more difficult, and I apologize for that, but there's nothing I can do about it. Thank the, thank the spammers, okay? Anyhow, I guess that's about all for, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? What do you call that? Housekeeping stuff. All right, let's get to some things and stuff. All right, where am I here? Come on. <laughs> so the minute I want to go to the news site here, uh, what happens? It's all locked up. I just, you know, all right, let's try to do something here. All right, there we go. Uh, they're having troubles at the... Uh, Democratic National Committee, or convention, I suppose. Yeah, apparently Bernie supporters are having a little problem with the police there. Oh, no. And, gee, I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why they're having problems with the police. I guess the same reason why black people have problems with police, right? Here we have a protester, a woman, with a backpack climbing over what looks like to be eight or nine-foot fence. Gee, I wonder why the police would, would, would want to talk to her. Golly, gee, can you imagine? I mean, really. <laughs> Go figure, huh? Bernie Sanders loyalists protested inside and outside the Democratic National Convention site and clashed with police on Tuesday. Hey, wait a minute. I thought all the clashing with police was supposed to happen in Cleveland. Oh, I guess they must have got that wrong. But I didn't. Anyway, on Tuesday after Hillary Clinton won the party's presidential nomination, what a surprise. Despite Sanders' calls for them to support Clinton, which... Hey, do any of you folks out there that sent in your hard-earned money to Bernie Sanders, you feeling a little burned, are you? That, you know, he took your money and said, oh yeah, all the way to the end, and here, oh wait a minute. I just figured it out. Bernie Sanders isn't really an old Jewish guy from New York. He's Ron Paul. Yeah, that's what it is. Put on a little weight, you know. He's Ron Paul. That's who he is. Gee, does this sound seem familiar at all to any of you from back then? Remember back then when Ron Paul said, yeah, we're going all the way, all the way to the convention. That's right. Nothing's going to set us back. Nothing's going to turn us away. Yeah, buddy, we're going all the way. Keep sending in them donations. And then, oh, well, we're not going to the convention. We're going to have a party down the street, and then I'm giving the rest of the $20 bucks to my kids so he can be a senator. Because that's why you all really gave me that money. Because, you know, you wanted my kid to be senator, right? Isn't that why you gave me all that money? Oh, I didn't tell you that's what I was going to do with it, but you should have known. Come on. Yeah, seems kind of familiar, doesn't it? 
you know, and somebody in the chat room points out Bernie Sanders supporters are a bunch of morons. Well, and that may be true, but what does that say for Ron Paul supporters? Huh? I'm 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 listening. Uh must be the same thing. You know what though? Don't get so all uh, you know, hyped up about Donald Trump either. Because I'll tell you something. Uh look, I, I can't uh, if you're going to vote, all right, I would, my advice, my my advice to you would be to vote for Donald Trump if you're going to vote. And I'm not telling anybody they should vote. I am not one of those people who believe in the voting system. Okay? I I never really have. I mean, I've tried it a couple of times. I mean, one time I voted because it was my first time I was allowed to vote, so I voted. And I was very involved in figuring out, well, who is it I want to vote for? I voted against Ronald Reagan. Okay? And to this day, I'm, I'm, I made the right vote. Not that my vote counted. Of course, back then I thought it did. Then the next time I voted, I, I don't even know who I voted for. I was more involved with, oh, I know who I voted for. <laughs> Gosh. I voted for Bob Dole. Yeah. Boy. there You see, I was more that year, I was really more into the process because I became a poll worker and everything. And, you know, you had to back then, I don't know now, but you had to go to a class and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, it was kind of fun, actually. But I was more involved with being involved than I was who I was going to vote for. And, and again, it was basically a, okay, anybody except Bill Clinton or whoever it was. <laughs> you know, yeah. But anyway, so, you know, that was then and this is now. And I would never, uh, I, I never really was too much into it. And I'm even less into it now. And folks, if you want to know why, you know, I'm not going to argue it with you. Because, look, if you want to vote, vote. You know, I, I mean, I'm not going to badmouth anybody for voting. Because, you know what, okay, let's say your vote doesn't count. All right, so you wasted, what, an hour out of your life? Once every, what, two years or four years or whatever? So what? I mean, if you want to vote, vote. If you don't, don't. But I happen to believe that registering to vote is one more, you know, unless you go through, you know, and people have. Uh, actually, I've, I've, I've known one person, and I've heard of several people, who have actually, here in Oregon, done a, uh, you know, gone down there and said, well, I want to vote, but, and this is not the day of the election. They go down there and say, look, I don't want to register to vote. I want to be an elector. That's the constitutional way of voting. Now, I'm not sure if your votes count if you do that. I'm not sure if your votes ever count. Because I think, I really do believe that, you know, if you, um, 
if you register votes, somehow this is, a, you know, you're agreeing I'm a U.S. citizen and all these other things that, you know, get you in trouble or can get you in trouble. Well, it seems like we've got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Frank, it's Sunday. How you doing? Now, why am I not hearing you? Can you hear me? Oh, okay. It's my, go ahead. Hey, it's Nunya. Hey, Nunya, hey, how um, you doing? Good, you? Well, I'm doing okay. Why don't you talk for a second? Tell us what's on your mind, because I've got, I've got, to, uh, I've got to jiggle my uh, headset uh, cord here. Okay. Well, I was just thinking about what you were talking about the first time voting, and first time I was old enough it was for, you know, Reagan's second term. Yeah. And uh, as far as Bob Dole goes, um, you know, I, you know, at the time I thought he was an okay guy, but uh, you know, he. Uh, I actually wrote him a couple of years back, and he wrote me back. He was uh, having some health issues and going to make a trip to Missouri, and he actually wrote me back. I wrote him at the law firm where he works. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Huh. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, this whole election has been pretty revealing as far as shenanigans on both sides. I oh, think. my gosh. It's, it's, so. it's, it's, it's almost surreal. It's like it's so... Well, I hate to use the word transparent, but <laughs> it, it, it's so transparent. I mean, you know, maybe Obama told us the truth when he said, well, this is going to be the most transparent presidency ever. Because, really, yeah. it kind of is. Yeah. It, yeah, he's been it, pretty it, transparent, but things you're seeing are not good. No, no, in a bad yeah. way. It's transparent, but I mean, it, right. it's still transparent <laughs> because we're seeing pretty much through their lies because they're not very good at it, apparently. I just think, you know, I have been starting to notice this in Bush's second term. They just, I got the impression that they just even gave up trying to pump us full of BS and just, you know, we don't care. And we don't care if it's obvious we don't care about the American people. Because, uh, you know, I just started seeing it a lot in that second term, it is, which is kind of when I started waking up, too. So. Yeah, it's sad, but, you know, uh, you know, like I've, I, I know a lot of people don't really care for my new theme song, but I picked it because of the lyrics. Uh, and, right. and and one of them is, if the so-called doesn't change, we're all going to die. And you know what? I believe that. I do, too. And, and when I say all, of course, like always, I don't mean all, all. I mean just lots, okay? Uh, yeah, majority. But, yeah, yeah, the vast majority, because, you know, this uh, really the demographics in this country, and, and pretty much except in undeveloped countries, like here in the United States, I think it's something like 80% of the population lives in the cities. Yeah, big shift from the, from the, uh, from the Depression in 29. Yeah, and why would it... People why, are not self-sufficient. Why would a... Why would a government or ruler, whatever way you want to look at it, why would they create a shift like that? Because it didn't happen by accident. They they created this situation. They manufactured oh, this thing. Yeah. Okay, so why would you want everybody in the city? Oh, let me use a word. Let me give you a hint by, by the way I ask you this question. Why would a leader want to concentrate the population in cities? Make them easier to control and round up. 
and more dependent on social, on services that governments provide. See, you're you're really you're like Susie Sunshine, aren't you? Because my thing is <laughs> because it's like no, it's for genocide. You know, oh, I use right. the word concentration because concentration camp concentrated in the cities. Hey, it's kind of the same thing. What do they always do? Oh, yeah. What do they always end up doing when they concentrate people in areas? They kill them all. Exterminate them. Yep. This is what they've always done, and this is now. Mm, yeah, mm, off to the off to the shoot. Mm, hey, let's move to the city, yeah. honey. Mm, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's the slaughterhouse. Yeah, it is, and they've even. I mean, they've done experiments on people in cities before, you know, crop dusting them with stuff, you know, subjecting them to diseases. You you know, know. people people would say, you, me, that I am insane for saying such a thing. They wouldn't do anything like that. And you know what? Well, I've always believed they would do things like that. But, I mean, I understand why people find it difficult to believe that they're, hey, wait a minute, I went to this, hey, I I shook the hand of the guy who shook the hand of the guy who is the congressman. You know, he kissed my baby, for crying out loud. He would never do anything like that. Well, yeah, they would. Then And they always have. Yep. As you say, history repeats itself. Well. uh, But there's an old book that says, what was it called, It Can't Happen Here? Yeah. Or it can't happen here, and uh, written in the 30s, I think. And uh, yeah, one yeah, thing people don't, you know, one thing people don't realize, and and you know, history of World War II, it's like okay, the concentration camps. A lot of people died at the concentration camps. That's true, but you know where more people died? They died in the Polish ghettos. And yep. do, you, do you know what the Polish ghettos were? They were they were like. Portions of Warsaw and other Polish cities right. that they just fenced off. Yes, it's like, hey, we're not building a new camp. We're just fencing off this city here, the parts of these cities, and that's where you're staying, and you're going to die in there. Right. More people died in those yeah. ghettos than ever died in Auschwitz. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, it's true. It's statistically. True. You can go look it up. I mean, and nobody ever talks about, oh, well, because who cares about the Polish? Come on. You know, yeah. the only, but anybody, the only buddy that ever count, the only people that ever died in World War II were Jews, right? Right. Well, you know, and the Poles weren't the only ones because they were shipping in people from Czechoslovakia. All the, all the Slavic people were put right. in these ghettos. It's, uh, you know, and look, the concentration camps were designed to be basically work camps, free labor. You know, kind of like Unicor. Right. Uh, yeah, the corporate industrial prison complex. Yeah, but the the ghettos? Oh, that was all about, look, you're just all going to have to die. We're going to lock you in this box until you run out of food and all die. That's that's right. what the ghettos work were. Work you to death. No, they didn't even work them to death in the ghettos. The ghettos were simply a big jail cell where they didn't feed you and said, there you go, you're you're just going to stay in here until you die. And, of course, you know, you've got bad elements in every situation, and 
they ran around killing people themselves, and nobody stopped them because it was like, hey, we this is good. This is what we want. And, gee, you know, you 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 look at history and you see these things, and then you see, oh, wait a minute, hmm, the American population has been shuttled on off into living in the cities to the point of 80% of our population is in, is in big cities. It's like, um, hey, I wonder if that's a coincidence. I would say not. And look at the major cities, too. But how are they doing? <laughs> New York, Chicago, yeah. L.A. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all the falling apart. Economically. Yeah, yeah. Detroit. And, you know, I, you know, this is the modern age. You know, back in the old days, you had to actually get up out there and put up fences and stuff and bob wire to keep people in these places. Now, hey, just shut off the electricity. Right. They don't even have to build yep. a fence anymore. Just shut off the electricity. You know, and yeah. We're, we're, we're caged in by our conveniences. Well, and... Yeah, and, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, okay, so all these cars, these beautiful SUV, $30,000, you know, cars out there, they, they, they're nice, they're comfy, they run good, and they're, and they're all electronic. Yep. So let's just say, you know, hey, it's rush hour on the George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel and all the ways in and out of New York City, and then poof, goes an EMP all the cars on the bridge and in the tunnels all stop working because their electronics just got fried and they don't work anymore. You now yep. you now have a roadblock 20 miles deep. Right. <laughs> I mean, how you ever you're not driving out in out of New York. No. Okay, so you're you getting off the road you're on. No. How far are you going to be able to walk with no food and water? <laughs> you know, I mean, people, this is not a good situation. People got to look at, and this is only, nobody shot anybody yet. This is just shutting off the electricity. Yeah. And you know what? They could say, oh, oh, yeah, them dirty, rotten Iranians. Or better yet, let's blame the Russians, because we blame them for everything anyway. Uh, you know, now yeah. they blame them for hacking the DNC, you know, emails. Yeah, I saw a comment tonight on that. Said, uh, "Okay, regardless of who hacked the email system, uh, who wrote the emails? <laughs> yeah, and, well, and what's in their content? Let's focus on the real issue. It's not that you know, like when they had that thing where they somebody hacked the university up in England uh, to show they were fraud, you know, committing fraud and planning fraud and emails about man-made climate change. And Pelosi was worried about uh, who hacked the server." Not what the email said. Well, of course not, because, you know, it's like, well, hey, wait a minute. These are our dirty, lying secrets. We don't want anybody to know these. we got to find out who's doing this. We don't care what it said. We know what it said. We know we've been lying, but we didn't want you to know, so we got to catch these hackers. You know, the thing is, is and <laughs> I don't know, the DNC guys as well, experts, but, of course, he can't name one expert that said so, because every expert that has been, you know, a, you know, willing to show their face on camera and put their name on articles has said this is ridiculous. Russia's mm -hmm. not wasting their time, you know, <laughs> hacking the DNC. Now, no. hackers no. that hack the DNC may dump their emails to the Kremlin also, you know, along with WikiLeaks and everywhere else, right? 
Right. Well, I'm sure they have them, but you know that doesn't mean they hacked it. And, and <laughs> you know, it's it's it 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 just strikes me as if it wasn't so dangerous, it would be ludicrous. How the media and now Hillary Clinton and the DNC are trying to revive the evil empire so we can have a Russian enemy over there. And oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think the terrorism thing is wearing thin. Uh, it is, because everybody's so, realizing, hey, the only terrorists around here are in Washington, D.C. Right. You know, and the people that work for them. You know, because that's where all the terrorists are getting their money and arms from, is Washington, D.C., and everybody's starting to find out. But the thing is, what's curious about it is, wait a minute, the evil empire was evil because they were communists, right? So we were told. Well, the DNC is communist, so how can they, right. shouldn't they be wanting to get along with the communists? Or, or is are they saying that Russia's not communist enough anymore? No, they're not, actually. I think they're they're more, they're actually more Western than we are at this point in time. Well... Then, then, yeah. then they are the legitimate enemy of the DNC because they are a bunch of communists there. That's what the C right. stands for. Democratic National Communists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I was over there in um, 2004. I spent about two months over in Russia. And uh, nice people. Just like here, a bunch of white Christian people and... Uh, you know, they may not totally agree with their government and everything, but uh, you know, um, they're making they're heading the right way, and we're heading the wrong way. It's almost like you know, it's almost like a lot of the Cubans that fled. You remember when Ilian Gonzalez came here in the '90s? Yep. And then he was like public enemy number one. One little Cuban kid was here, and his mom died trying to get him here, and they had to go take him from his family that was here with them sixteens. And yet, at the same time, there were there were millions of Mexicans flooding over the border, and we didn't hear anything about that. No, nope. nope. because they've had enough of the communism. They've they've tasted it. Well, They're still and, driving cars from the 1950s, and a, a, a dinner at McDonald's is a big treat, you know. Well, the thing is, I'd rather be driving a car from the 1950s to tell you the truth. But you know, well, I would too. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, in order to straighten up and fly right. Apparently, you know, if history is any guide, a serious civilizational collapse is necessary. Right. Because that's what turned Russia around. They went through some, they went through a few really bad years, you know, yep. after that whole collapse thing. Things were not easy in Russia for, uh, you know, five years or so. No, my wife used to have to stand in line for bread there, and... Uh... She said at one point in time they you know all their money was you know basically worthless overnight, and then they went to a thing where they, well they had money, but there was nothing to buy in the stores, yeah, no. so. you know, and that's what's going to happen here and i I hate to say it uh it's what's necessary you know and and i I hate to agree, but the elite are right, you know about what has to happen. But the elite are also to blame because they're the ones that created this. Because these people living in these cities that have become nothing but parasites, they didn't have to become that way. They became that way because right. the elite created the situation to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's all by design. 
you know. And you, think you wonder what's going on in, right now in, in, in Europe with the, all the refugees flooding in there. You know, I think that's a beta test for what they got planned here. You know, they're kind of doing it simultaneously. But really, when you look at, I've seen some non-mainstream media numbers that indicate that there are a lot more refugees here than what they're admitting. And there's no way to vet them because, you know, when, when, when we got married and my wife moved here, um, they had FBI background checks, and the the country of origin was cooperative. You don't get you don't get uh, you don't get to vet citizens of a country who you're trying to attack and and drive their their president out of existence, like like in Syria, for example. They're not cooperating. Well, There's the, no way to vet these people. Well, the idea of a refugee, there is no way to vet refugees. Okay, because refugees are either coming from a hostile government. Or a, a government that is in total collapse. I mean, it's it, you're not having any cooperation from a, a government of refugees because no, they're refugees. They have you know, they're refugees. Right. I mean, so you know, their government will never cooperate, even if they wanted to. Most of the times, they wouldn't be able to. You know, and you know, right. it's just it's it's. Okay, here's the plan. Let's go bomb everybody out of their houses. We can't get them to move here any other way. So let's destroy everything they got and then tell them they got to move to the United States. What kind of plan is that for the uh, United States? And did well, we, just, did we do that another, in World War II? It's a plan to replace us. Did we do that That's in World War II? Everywhere we conquered, we said, okay, well, you know, now you got to move to the United States. No, no. I think we brought some German scientists and stuff like that over, but oh yeah. Uh, other than that, and some some gals married some American soldiers, but other otherwise, no. There was no mass immigration here. No, there wasn't, and there shouldn't be. I mean, if we're going to go bomb somebody, we're there to kill you. We're not there to give you a new home right. and move you to the United States. I mean, if we were, I mean, we wouldn't be bombing you if we didn't want you dead, right? Right. You wouldn't think so. I mean, if you don't want to kill people, stop bombing them. Right, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, nobody listens to me in the government. So, anyway, Nanya, I got to take a break. I'm late, anyways. But hey, good to be king. I can take breaks when I want. So, I'm gonna, ta- <laughs> I'm gonna take a break, and I'll be back in just a bit. Thanks for calling in, Nanya. You bet, buddy. Good to see you. <laughs>
is their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network, and it is still July 26, 2016, at least out here on the Pacific Time Coast. It is uh, over on the East Coast. Of course, it is tomorrow, which would make it the 27th, but we're out here on the West Coast, so it's still the 26th, about 947. Uh, 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. And you can also go to the chat room located at our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Okay, well, here's a uh, <laughs> here's the headline. Okay, so this one's not going to be so serious, all right? Walmart thief flees on a mobility scooter. You know, uh, okay, is that really called fleeing when you're on a mobility scooter? I mean, you really, can you call that fleeing? He's fleeing. Look at him go. He must be going, what, four miles an hour? Wow. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you call that. Uh, listen to this. <laughs> Arizona cops hunt Walmart theft suspect who made his getaway on a mobility scooter. Yeah, buddy, that's right. Arizona cops are seeking the public's help in identifying a thief who fled Walmart on a mobility scooter. Yep, after pinning a worker to the wall during his escape. No doubt in the scooter. You know, if you can't move out of the way of a mobility scooter, perhaps you need your own mobility scooter. As seen in the above store surveillance video, which of course is now on the internet, but you know, it's funny how uh, the, you know, the mobility scooter thief can be on the internet on surveillance video, but when Blacks rob stores. Oh, well, you know, we can't release that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but as seen in this video, the suspect was confronted earlier this month by a female Walmart employee near the Tucson store's exit as he sought to leave with unpaid items in his scooter's front basket. Listen to this. Now, listen to this. Now, you folks have seen mobility scooters, right? You've seen them around. Okay, they're not sports cars, right? All right? <laughs> After some evasive driving, the suspect ran into the Walmart worker, driving her backwards into a large blue bin. See, this is one of these stupid people who think that, oh, Oh, there's little white lines on the road. That means I don't have to look where I'm going. That means I can just wander out into the road, and everybody's got to make sure they stop for me until I become a blood spot on the highway. Okay? This whole idea about giving pedestrians and bicycles right away on the road is a bad idea. That should be turned the other way around, and people should be told, listen, if you're not in an automobile, and you're out on the road somewhere, you better watch out. 
Because giving these people this false sense of security that because somebody painted a little white line on the road, they're now uh, you know safe from being run down because they're stupid. Driving her backwards in a large blue bin. As two men came to aid the woman, the suspect drove out of the store on his gray ride. According to the police, the suspect, who is around 50, is a white male with brown hair and a mustache. Wait a minute, that'd be racist. A white male? How come they're allowed to describe him as a white male, but in no reports about Black Lives Matter savages robbing and flash mobbing stores, is there ever any any black male? Oh, no, that'd be racist. But it's okay to say white male with brown hair and a mustache. The man who was carrying crutches and wore a red University of Arizona baseball cap, is a suspect in a prior theft at the same Walmart. Really? Uh, Are you kidding me? I, I mean, this is a real story, folks. This is not made up. This ain't even a spoof story. Really? Okay, so, okay, like, all right, there's a guy in a mobility scooter making his getaway. Right? At about three miles an hour. And and running in, running down people. He's a maniac, I tell you. And nobody thought the men who came to assist the poor woman who was assaulted by the assault scooter. They didn't think, hey, I got an idea. Why don't I just grab this guy, buy his shirt, and rip him out of that mobility scooter and throw him on the ground? Why don't I do that? And then his little mobility scooter can scoot on out the door without him, and he'll be laying on the ground. And we'll see if he's just faking it anyway. Because if he really needed the mobility scooter, then he ain't getting up. And if he did, well, we can take care of that too. But, I mean, the thing is... And he got away. Yeah, he's on the loose, folks. Uh, So be very scared. Keep your eyes peeled for older men in mobility scooters. They're not armed, and they're not that dangerous. But boy, somehow, (laughs) I mean, he can rob a Walmart and and, uh, get away. He's at large. Be afraid, folks. Be very, very afraid. And the cops need help from the people because, well, they can't put this together and they can't find, you know, uh, hey, how far are you really going to get on a mobility scooter? What kind of batteries they got in those things? I mean, how far can you go on one of those? Uh, It's just... uh, You see, stories like this are kind of, they make me laugh, but it's really not that funny, you know. It's really not that funny because, well, it just isn't. It's, well, you know, funny and pathetic sometimes go together, but not so much this time. This is really kind of more pathetic, but, you know. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey. Hey. 
Hillary Clinton's a thief and a liar, and we all know that, right? However, there could be other things, reasons, you know, even if you like her, which, okay, if you do, then you're probably, I'll talk slower, okay, for you folks that do like her. She has health issues, all right? They are obvious, and they are being covered up. Now, her vice presidential pick is a very dangerous man, which I'm not going to get into tonight, but I will get into in a while. And we'll look at Pence, too, because he's no uh, dreamboat candidate either. But Kane is very dangerous. His positions are very dangerous. And Hillary Clinton will not make it through a full term. Okay? She might not even make it to the election. All right? So she has coughing fits, which we're all aware of. February 2016, Clinton suffered her third public coughing fit during a speech in Harlem. Clinton had to dig out a lozenger in the last year's Benghazi hearings. She also suffered a coughing fit in Iowa back in January. And she said it was because she's been talking a lot on the campaign tour. Uh, But then... uh, The fits prompted many to speculate what's causing them. So ear, nose, and throat specialist Dr. Jonathan Avey told Inside Edition, it's not just a cough. There's some hoarseness. There's some throat clearing. In fact, there's frequent throat clearing. When you have these trio of symptoms, you have to think of what I call throat burn reflux, which is acid reflux affecting the throat. Well... A lot of people got acid reflux, but it's caused, you know, this is happening because something bad is going on inside. Then she has a health attack. Her health attack on Bernie Sanders backfires. Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders' campaign is fundraising off a report that an ally of rival Hillary Clinton plans to demand Sanders' release of his medical records. The Hill reported in January. John Podesta, chairman of Clinton's campaign, tried to downplay the incident in an effort to draw attention away from uh, Clinton's health. We're fighting on who would make a better president, not who has better physical fitness tests. Well, then why did you demand Bernie Sanders release his medical records? And why would you do that? And how could you justify that when Barack Obama has refused to release his medical records for eight years? She fell. She fractured her elbow. Now, okay, so, you know, you fall down, you break things when you're old. But, I mean, the thing is, why did she fall down? Okay? Oh, let's see here. Then, another incident, she fainted. And got a concussion because she hit her little head. Apparently not hard enough because she's still around. But that's what happened. Uh, The incident came just days before a scheduled testimony about September 11th attack against U.S. diplomat outpost in Benghazi, Libya. Um, Of course, the State Department said Clinton was dehydrated because of a stomach virus. Listen, stomach virus, acid reflux, okay? which had already caused her to back out of a trip to North Africa and Persian Gulf. Blood clot. Okay, she was hospitalized in 2012 after doctors discovered a blood clot during a follow-up exam related to her concussion. 
Her blood clot formed in a large vein along the side of her head, right behind her ear, between the brain and the skull. Huh. Yeah, she began taking blood thinners around the time of her hospital discharge. The concussion and subsequently discovered blood clot forced Clinton to ultimately take a month-long abstinence from her role as Secretary of State. Now she's wearing prism glasses for double vision. Okay? Now her prescription th- blood thinners is Coumadin, and she will be on that for the rest of her life, folks. Coumadin is a bad thing. She has a thyroid problem, okay? She takes Armour Thyroid. It's a thyroid. It's a synthetic thyroid hormone replacement. She takes mixed with antihistamines and vitamin B12. Hey, man, she's got real serious problems. And why does she keep falling down? Is she just drunk or what? Or cocaine or what? Because there are also rumors that she's quite the alky and quite the cokehead. But, like I said, I'm out of time. We'll talk about it later. As always, thanks for listening. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. months ago that a friend in Texas forwarded a cassette tape to my attention with a brief note saying, Brother Wheeling, I think you should listen to this talk show program. Alan Dale of KRNN, is that correct? In San Antonio, Texas, interviewed George Hunt last October. October of 1987. October of 1987. There were two interviews, about a week apart. Alan Dale had been sent a a tape from a friend who heard a talk show program in Denver, where you were being interviewed. Right away, he made contact with uh, George, invited him to be on the program, and uh, some very interesting things began to occur. In the one-week interval between the two interviews with George Hunt, he received a threatening phone call saying that if you bring George Hunt on the air again, you'll live to regret it. Words to that effect. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Two weeks after the second interview, the station was bought out and Alan Dale lost his job 
and went elsewhere for employment. We have good reason to believe that when George Hunt arrived here in Birmingham, Alabama last evening, that he was being shadowed. We have good reason to believe that. After you hear the subject, the presentation this evening, I think you will appreciate that people in high places may be disturbed by the information, the knowledge that he has, that God has given to him, information that he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to share with Americans, with Christians, with anyone anywhere who will listen. Am I speaking correctly here? Including denominational church entities. Yes. I'm particularly interested in the things Mr. Hunt is going to share because for several years I have been studying the prophecies of Old and New Testament that point to some final crisis in the world even in the United States of America, a crisis that will be tied to economics, to money. I had lost my middle son, Peter, in one of the wilderness areas, as a matter of fact, that's going to go into this World Bank that we're going to be hearing. He was killed on uh, the Franz Joseph Glacier about a year earlier in uh, New Zealand. And I was feeling pretty blue. It was about the anniversary of his death, and I, I was watching uh, public television one night about 10 p.m., and it said, Fourth World Wilderness Congress is coming to Denver, and it uh, showed pictures of reindeer and pictures of the Arctic, and I said, aha, John told me a week ago that he wanted to go to the Arctic. I ought to go to that Congress, rub shoulders with the forest rangers and see what I could do about procuring my son a job. That's kind of on a father's heart. So I learned that it was very expensive to go to this particular Congress and I did not happen to have that kind of money to just throw around. So I made some phone calls to find out if I could help. And it turns out that one of the people that was going to be an official host at the Congress was ill with the flu. I called that person and said, may I take your place? And he said, I would appreciate it very much. I am too sick to show up tomorrow and the guests are gonna be flying into Denver and somebody has to pick up these dignitaries and why not you? And so I showed up the next morning in his stead and my fellow hosts were the divine the emissaries of divine light an ashram out of Loveland, Colorado. I was uniquely suited to understand the conspiracy, and I will use the word conspiracy. That is people whispering together in a covert um, connection to do some dirty work against the United States and against Jesus Christ and against his people, as we will hear this evening. I was uniquely suited because I have taught accounting at a college level. Uh, I have taught business management at a college level. I have 
25 years of business experience, and for the last 19 years, I have been engaged as an entrepreneur of my own business called Medical Resources in going into businesses, analyzing their businesses, and seeing what is wrong with them, and being able to take all of these variables that I see in this business and come out with conclusions that are correct for their business to save their business. In other words, I'm a business doctor. So when I heard the undertones and the nuances and the double entendres that were going on in the speeches at this Congress, I knew that there was a conspiracy where others might have just had the words pass over their head. Something here that was not true because conservation is an antipathy. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.